You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 558. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 24th of February, 2023. A runway incursion in Honolulu. An Air New Zealand flight to JFK turns back over the Pacific because of a blackout at the plane's arrival terminal. More news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 558 is ready for pushback. All right. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I am Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA. And joining me from his home studio in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. Just us old men and uh, our fantastic producer at the moment. Uh, And um, which month are we in? What was it? February? February. 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 Feb. The second month of the year. And well done, sir. <laughs> quit picking on me. You're so mean. And <laughs> a place to stand, a place to grow. Our producer from Ontario, Canada. She's a retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master. It's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. Let's hope things get better from here. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't get any damn worse. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Stand Stand by by for for news. news. Thank you, Paul Harvey. All right, let's start with the first item in our news segment, which is uh, an incident. This is from uh, Aviation Herald, uh, avherald.com. Our good friend Simon over there does a fantastic job of providing great news. And this involves a United Boeing 777-200 Registration 774-UA, performing flight 384 from Denver, Colorado to Honolulu, Hawaii, has landed on or had landed on Honolulu's runway 4 right and was instructed to hold short of runway 4 left. The crew correctly read back that instruction. The crew vacated runway 4 right via high-speed turnoff. Uh, Let's see... Okay, Kilo, let me get the uh, image up here at the screen. There we go. We can reference the uh, 
the appropriate part of the airport diagram at uh, Honolulu International. And now let me go back to this. So uh, they vacated four right via the high-speed turnoff kilo and went past the hold short line for runway four left and runway eight left. Tower instructed the crew to continue crossing runway eight left and contact ground control. On ground, the crew was instructed to call a tower phone number. Ooh, that's never good. A Kamaka, Kamaka Air Cessna 208 performing a scheduled flight from Lahui, Honolulu, or Hawaii to Honolulu, Hawaii, was landing on runway four left at that time and touched down, slowed, and vacated the runway via taxiway Echo about 360 meters, 1,200 feet short of the intersection of runway four left, runway eight left, and taxiway Kilo. On February 16, 2023, the NTSB reported that they're investigating the January 23rd runway incursion at Honolulu International Airport that occurred when a Boeing 777 crossed runway 4 left and conflicted with a Cessna 208B that was landing on 4 left. No damage or injuries are reported. Now, weather at the time, well, do we even have to say what the weather was? In, in Hawaii? It's paradise. I know. It's always, well, it seems like it's yeah, always Yeah, I'm, I'm nice. assuming it was foggy and cold, all <laughs> yeah. the snow on the ground. Low-vis approaches. But, yeah. Uh, no. It's obscuring all the signs. <laughs> a lot Just, of incidents in Hawaii lately, though. There, yeah, it's true. Uh, there was a few a few clouds here, a few clouds there, uh, scattered clouds, 81 degrees, uh, 27C, A couple 19. of volcanoes going off. Yeah, a couple of those going on. Might have been some uh, volcanic ash kind of floating by the airport. Maybe that was a part of the problem. Anyway, so uh, as we're seeing here on the um, on the airport diagram, um, it's um, the four left and four right, uh, parallel runways there. And uh, the, it looks like that uh, taxiway, high-speed taxiway exit kilo, it's pretty kind of, it's short. it looks short to me. I don't remember. It's been a long time. Yeah, there we go. Sam says, not much space between the runways. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. Those those are very tight together, the left and right runways. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're in a bit of a mess of the, um, the signs that would be for the runway behind you. Uh, and then very quickly you're into the signs for the two runways ahead of you. So mm-hmm. it's probably going to be a bit of a mess. But hopefully these guys would have pre-briefed which turn off they expect to take and covered that as a possible threat in their pre-fright fright pre-fright <laughs> in this case that's accurate <laughs> yes, very accurate <laughs> about half an hour prior to landing so you know they, they should be well aware of the dangers there apart from the fact that it's all highlighted with hot spot uh, warnings there it's mm-hmm. one of the three in very st- a tight area in fact four hmm. So, uh, yeah, not something you could easily ignore. No. But, uh, again, Sam in our audience uh, says that uh, he's not sure that a 777 holding short would be clear of four right. The tail might Yeah, and that's, that's a very good point because as you're taxing clear, you're very conscious on the long aircraft of where the back end is and making sure you've got it far enough away of the runway you've just vacated to ensure that any subsequent landing aircraft, you're not inflicting their safety zones uh, as uh, you sit there parked up. So, uh, and bear in mind, you know, you're you're up quite a few feet and uh, you're looking, trying to look down onto these uh, indications and they'll disappear under the nose pretty quick if you just roll a little bit too far forward. But 
quite honestly, um, you know, it's it's very doable to park yourself up in that spot. And I would have thought the crews uh, would probably have been there before, so they probably understood the dangers. I'm not quite sure what went wrong on this day. No. Well, they're investigating, and hopefully they'll determine the you know the causes um, or contributing causes for this uh, incursion. You want to blame someone. Yeah, they'll find somebody to blame, Liz, for sure. Don't okay, worry. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, but it's something that's been forefront of our minds for years now because it was identified as a major threat, you know, for the next major uh, accident uh, that's going to occur on an airfield is probably going to be a collision a la Tenerife. So, you know, all these systems are being uh, bought out and fitted that will provide automatic red stop lines uh, for aircraft approaching runways um, and, and these additions to all our landing charts so that we know where the hot spots are and where the likelihood is uh, that uh, we'll have problems. Uh, we've got much better taxi awareness now because most of our um, iPads and other um, electronic flight bags have GPS attached to them so you can actually see yourself taxiing around the airport maps. Um, so, you know, whilst the kit is getting better, we're still having these sort of incursions and we, we know what sort of a you know result we're going to have if uh, someone makes another mistake. We've had quite a number on the last show and this, so it's, it is a bit of a worry. Well, you know, I think that Captain Nick and I know exactly what's happening out there right now. The experienced, really good pilots of um, ages past, like Captain Nick, retired and soon to be retired Captain Jeff. They just, uh, the, the kids these days flying these jets, they don't know what they're doing. They just don't know what they're yeah. doing. They're unsafe. Just like, the, just like the policemen. You know, they, they're so young nowadays. That how can they possibly understand? I know. So I'm looking. I should have uh, gotten a, um, a larger view of the uh, airport diagram there. Uh, Sam was uh, making, or somebody made the, um, maybe it was Sultan of Wings. Somebody said yeah, something about Brad. the fact that, um, uh, yeah, Brad, not sure the stopping perfor uh, of the stopping performance of a 777, but it seems that they got stopped rather quickly to make taxiway kilo. And um, looking at this airport diagram, they could have continued down all the way. I guess they would have had to gone down to the very end of the runway and around, and that would have added a you know a few more minutes. Maybe they were just eager to uh, get off the jet. They wanted to get and, to the uh, luau. Get to the uh, what are they? Uh, uh, my my and the luau and is it my ties that they drink there? Pina, pina coladas. Pina coladas and yeah, probably. I like pina coladas. Mind you, um, it sounds like London hold short procedures were in force. Uh, like that first sentence, Jeff, uh, mm -hmm. oh. it had landed on Honolulu oh. from a zero four and was instructed to hold short of zero four. There left. you go. Another example of my, the lack of uh, reading comprehension skills from me. <laughs> but, Sorry, but it is it is quite a short bit of uh, so yeah. a, a, a runway to do a land and hold short. But you know, they, I think they would have planned to come off at Keeler. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, and then as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, uh, if that was the plan, they probably should have, you know, briefed the fact that that's, it might be a kind of a quick stop once we exit four right and hold short of four left yeah. and eight left. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see what happens with the investigation and maybe we can all learn something from it. 
Um, maybe we'll get a final report like the next one we have. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe we'll get a final report like this next one that we're going to cover. Uh-huh. And uh, it is... Good segue, Jeff. Thank you, Liz. You gave me the segue, but... Uh, and I'm, I'm just yeah. going to, before you move on, just going to yeah. correct myself. The mm-hmm. uh, hold short, of course, was for the parallel, not for the runway that they were approaching, which was zero eight. So uh, I'll probably led you down the uh, garden well, path there a little. I think that the hold short point is for both of those runways because they both um, intersect at that point. Um, okay. Both uh, four left and and uh, eight left. Yeah, but I think I I may have just made oh. an assumption that that meant land and hold short procedures were enforced. Oh, okay. Don't think they necessarily were. We were never allowed to do that, so uh, oh. I always used we always ignored land and hold short because foreign crews aren't permitted to do that. Oh well, you know what? That used to when they first introduced those many many years ago. I mean, they made a big deal of it, and a lot of places were using that, but. Uh, it's kind of gotten out of favor in most of the places that uh, that we go to now, or at least that I go to now. You hardly ever see, very rarely, and and if it is land and hold short procedures in effect, it's usually like at the very far end of the runway. So it's not right. like okay. I don't know. It's uh, it's just different than it was when they first implemented these uh, land and hold short procedures. But uh, good point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let us continue with this final report. Um, and we've talked about this many times on the show. I'm not going to play the video again where the, uh, where the lady says, well, I I think we landed (laughs) after they came skidding to a stop, uh, in the, uh, snow and ice covered, um, dirt between runways. Um, so the final report was released on the 6th of February. Uh, the flight crew, the, uh, probable causes of the accident were the, what should I tell you what happened first? Um, the um, tower controller, they were coming into Chicago O'Hare runway 10 left the first time. and uh, Snowy day. The, uh, snowy day, yeah, not, not great weather. Chicago, you know, in uh, what time of year was it? It was November 11th of 2019. Tower controller informed, oh, let's see, uh, issued instructions uh, for this flight to go around. The controller did not provide a reason for the go around instruction. The flight crew performed a go-around maneuver and subsequently discussed with the company dispatcher the possibility of diverting to an alternate airport or changing the alternate to one closer to the airplane's position. However, and the reason why would they do that is that uh, you'd have more fuel to work with uh, in case you had to hold or for what, you know, it just gives you more more options. Um, However, the flight crew elected to make another approach to the destination airport, which again is a Chicago O'Hare. During the second approach to runway 10 left, the tower controller informed the flight crew that the runway condition code was 555, which indicates good braking action across all three runway zones, touchdown, midpoint, rollout. However, the controller also informed the crew that other flight crews had reported the braking action as medium to poor until taxiway November 3, which was located about halfway down the runway, and then poor past that point. The controller cleared the aircraft to land and reported that the wind was from 360 at 17 with gusts to 24. Okay, so they're landing on a basically east-facing runway, and the winds are out of the north, so it's almost a direct crosswind of 24 knots. Uh, Given the runway orientation, the steady state wind speed would have resulted in a crosswind component of about 16 knots. The company's maximum crosswind limit during landing was 30 knots for a dry runway, or if the braking action is reported as good. 
Now, I think the reason why they put that in there is that uh, many of our airlines, if the winds, if the crosswind gets to be a significant um, uh, uh, figure, uh, the um, the uh, crosswind limitation, or, or uh, I'm sorry, the when the braking action report um, results in lower friction and not so good braking, the crosswind limitation starts coming down, or at least for my airline, it's not really a limitation; it's a gu- it's guidance. But they say, hey, you know, think about it. If you if you don't have a good friction on the runway, it's going to be difficult to keep tracking straight down the runway if you have a high wind, you know, pushing you one way or the other. Um, anyway, the airplane touched down on the runway center line, but as the captain applied the brakes and reverse thrust, the airplane moved off the center line. The crew stated the airplane started swerving to the right when its indicated airspeed was about 80 knots. As the captain applied corrections to maneuver back to the center line, the airplane started to slide to the left. Captain stated that he applied maximum reverse and brakes, but the airplane continued to slide to the left. A flight data, uh, data recorder, uh, FDR data, indicated that after the landing, thrust reverser deployment and brake application, the airplane was tracking slightly right when the captain was commanding slightly left. At 80 knots, the airplane veered to the left and the captain commanded airplane nose right rudder. However, rudder effectiveness at slower airspeeds and with thrust reversers is reduced and uh, left turn was not arrested. This is a uh, tail-mounted engine uh, jet, by the way. I should be showing. Got any pictures to show us? I do, Liz. I was just thinking to myself, I should probably throw a picture up there so you can see what that tail-mounted engine airplane looks like. Um, Like yours, kind of, but small. Yeah, like like kind of like the seven seventeen, but a little bit smaller. Um, Okay. Uh, the data also shows that no more than plus or minus three degrees of rudder deflection was used. So not a lot of deflection of the rudder. Um, anyway, let's just go right to the, uh, NTSB probable cause the flight crew's inability to maintain the airplane on the runway center line after touchdown due to the reduced braking action resulting from the deteriorating weather conditions, which caused the airplane's departure from the runway surface. Contributing to the accident were the delay in performing the runway assessment for undetermined reasons and failure to close the runway. Also contributing to the accident was a controller's failure to advise the accident flight crew that braking action was no longer consistent with the previously published notice to air mission, which described braking action as good across all three runway zones. Yeah, there's another part of here. They talked about a, a, another flight talked about um, poor, oh, past November 3, uh, the runway was poor braking action. And according to Envoy Air's operations manual, which contained Federal Aviation Administration guidance about runway condition assessments, a pilot report of medium indicated that braking deceleration or directional control was noticeably reduced. And a pilot report of poor indicated that braking deceleration or directional control was significantly reduced. Both the captain and the first officer indicated that, according to company guidance, the runway condition codes are controlling and that that pilot reports are advisory. Hmm. Thus, it was reasonable for the flight crew to attempt to land on the runway based on the reported runway condition code of 555. Yeah, so I I think that there's, um, you know, we always talk about communication on this show, how important it is. And good communication and accurate information would have helped in this situation. I think that they really understood that the braking action was not really good or 555. They may have decided to proceed to an alternate and we wouldn't be talking about it on the show. 
Yeah, I think the uh, there's still a high level of responsibility on their traffic controllers as well because they had already dispatched uh, vehicles out there to uh, do braking tests on the runways uh, because of the pilot reports. Uh, they weren't required to do it for another 30 minutes, but they had a couple of vehicles out there, I believe, uh, that were waiting to go on. But because there are aircraft in the approach, the con the uh, controller wouldn't let them on um, because he wanted to get the aircraft down, uh, which is, you know, a bit of a conflict because obviously if you sent these boys around and put a, a test vehicle on and they'd prove that the conditions weren't 555, they weren't good all the way along, uh, they would have had to switch them on to a clean runway or close the runway until they had swept it and this accident would not have happened. I agree. And I think the NTSB does as well. Okay. Um, let's continue. Next item here uh, from Seattle Times. No, Tulsa. I did it again. Thank you, Liz. I, I, I always advance to the next one. And then as we finish, then I go to the next one and skip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> bad, bad host. Okay, uh, let's go to this next item. A FedEx Boeing 757-200 freighter, registration November 949-FD, performing flight 1170 from Fort Worth Alliance, uh, Texas, to Tulsa, Oklahoma, with two crew, was cleared for a visual approach to, to and landing on runway 18 left. However, they lined up with runway 18 right and continued for a landing on runway 18 right. After the aircraft vacated the runway at the end, the crew informed Tower they had landed on the wrong runway. Yeah, they probably realized sometime about halfway through their landing roll. Ooh, this is, doesn't feels like a really short runway. <laughs> uh, let me through, put the um, slide up here. Uh, there is the airport diagram for Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, I operate in and out of there quite often. That, of course, is uh, we have a lot of great APG community members. The home of Larry Gregory. Larry Gregory and Sean King and uh, Josh Glaze. And I'm sure I'm going to forget somebody. JJ from Tulsa and uh, others, very important people that live in the Tulsa area. And uh, we always use 18 left or 36 right because it's 10,000 feet long and uh, just a nice, nice runway. It um, looks a full width runway as well. Whereas, yeah, I think it's about. I think it's a two hundred foot wide runway as well. Yeah, one eight right mistaken. looks a bit narrow. Yeah, that's and only six thousand feet long. Right, <laughs> and that's over there near the uh, fixed base operations. You know, the the uh, general aviation um, segment of the of the aviation world are, are over there on that side of the field. Most of them, anyway. And uh, so. Yeah, 6,101 feet long. It's not like they were landing on the 3,500-foot runway or something. But uh, they realized, of course, at, at some point that this was not 1-8 left. And uh, they fessed up. And uh, they, you know, nothing Interesting that the controller happened. didn't pick it up. Yeah, that's a good point, Liz. Uh, on July, oh, that's the preliminary report. Is this, wait a minute. Don't we have a final report on this? Thought so. Hmm. Okay. Oh, no, I guess the reason why we're talking about this is that on February 14th, 
of this year, the NTSB opened their investigation docket. Okay. Um, so we await further analysis and well, it's not final report result. No, nope, not the final report. It's the uh, preliminary and the investigation. Docket. Usually when they open up the investigation docket, though, I think it means that they're getting close to the final report. Okay. Let's move on now to the one that I was trying to get to. Um, D, uh, again from Seattle Times. Uh, Take your screen share off. Oh, thank you. Uh, or you, you can do that if you want, but here, I'll do it. Oh, can I? Sorry. Yeah, I think so. You can. We're doing something new here, folks, with the uh, slides Just today. for change? Yeah, just for the heck of it, because we like to, you know, switch it up. Um, okay. Uh, SeattleTimes.com. After Alaska Airlines planes bump runway, a scramble to, quote, pull the plug. Uh, this is February 18th when this article was published. On the morning of January 26, as two Alaska Airlines flights from Seattle to Hawaii lifted off six minutes apart, the pilots each felt a slight bump, and the flight attendants at the back of the cabin heard a scraping noise. As uh, the noses of both 737s lifted skyward on takeoff, their tails had scraped the runway. Both planes circled back immediately and landed again at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. Tail strikes happen occasionally in aviation, but two in quick succession uh, was not normal. Uh, Brett Payton, Alaska's on-duty director of operations, immediately ordered no more planes were to take off across the airline's network. All Alaska flights not already airborne were stopped nationwide. At that point, two in a row like that, that's when I said, no, we're done, said Payton. That's when I stopped things. For Peyton, who was an Air Force lieutenant colonel, that decisive call was a heart-racing moment. But few travelers, apart from the passengers aboard the two Hawaii flights who had to wait several hours to continue their journey, would have noticed anything amiss. The stoppage only lasted 22 minutes. Alaska's flight operations staff quickly realized that there was a software bug and was sending bad takeoff weight data, uh, data to its crew. crews. Excuse me. They immediately figured out a workaround and normal flying resumed. On Tuesday, following a series of recent safety in, uh, incidents and dangerous close calls around the U.S. aviation system, acting FAA Administrator Billy Nolan wrote a call-to-action letter warning that the U.S. system's stellar safety record mustn't be taken for granted. The January 26 tail strikes at SeaTac were not close calls. The passengers on those Hawaii flights were never in danger. Still, the mishaps point to the need for more vigilance by pilots in checking automated data. We rely on that data to safely operate the plane, said an Alaska Airlines captain who has flown 737s to Hawaii and asked for uh, anonymity because he spoke without company permission. Yet the incidents also offer some reassurance in the way Alaska promptly shut down service until it understood the cause and they fixed it. Alaska dealt with it very quickly and appropriately, the captain said. The first incident occurred when Alaska Flight 801, a Boeing MAX 9, headed to Hawaii's Big Island, lifted off at 8.48 a.m. At 8.54 a.m., just what, six minutes later, Alaska Flight 887 followed, this time a Boeing 737-900ER, headed to Honolulu, so not a MAX. To determine the thrust and speed settings for takeoff, Alaska's pilots and others use a performance calculation tool supplied by a Swedish company called Dynamic Source. Ah, it was the Swedes' fault. 
Um, it delivers a message to the cockpit with crucial weight and balanced data, including how many people are on board, the jet's empty and gross weight, and the position of its center of gravity. Uh, just as an aside here, this is Captain Jeff speaking, uh, flying for Acme Airlines. We use the a same uh, a similar system, not a third party. We have our own um, load uh, planning department and perform the performance data, load data, and everything else is handled by a department at Acme, and that information is uh, sent to us via the uh, ACARS system, and that gives us all, and we're able to upload. Uh, by you know hitting some keystrokes, upload the data to our flight management system. Okay, uh, a pilot at American Airlines, which uses the same dynamic source performance data tool, and who also spoke anon- anonymously because he didn't have authorization, explained that the computer then calculates just the right amount of engine thrust so the pilots don't use more power than necessary. The goal is to lower the power used on takeoff, he said. That reduces engine wear and saves money on fuel and maintenance. Flights to Hawaii are typically full, with lots of baggage and a full load of fuel for the trip across the ocean. The planes are heavy. That morning, the software bug uh, in an update to the dynamic source tool caused it to provide seriously undervalued weights for the planes. The Alaska 737 captain said the data was on the order of 20 to 30,000 pounds light. With the total weight of those jets at 150 to 170,000 pounds, the error was enough to skew the engine thrust and speed settings. Both planes headed down the runway with less power and at a lower speed than they should have. And with the jets judged lighter than they actually were, the pilots rotated too early. Both the MAX 9 and the 737-900ER have long passenger cabins, which makes them more vulnerable to a tail strike when the nose comes up too soon. Uh, Let's see... Alaska says it operated 727 flights that day. Huh, I thought they uh, had retired those. Oh, I'm sorry, 727 flights that day, (laughs) of which just 30 took off with incorrect takeoff data. So 30 out of 727 is pretty pretty low percentage. But actually it was good that two of them were that close together. That sort of twigged them off, you know what I mean? Yeah, you're right, Liz. Um, The fact that these two flights had taken off so closely together or uh, time-wise uh, definitely was a big clue for the uh, uh, managers to say, and and two tail strikes within, you know, ten minutes or less uh, was was something that just wasn't a common thing to occur, and that kind of clued them in that something's not right. So it could have been a lot worse if had they not put a halt to their operations and uh, worked out what the uh, problem was, and you know, to to fix this. In just what twenty two minutes, mm-hmm. I think they said that's uh, pretty. That's pretty quick. Impressive, yeah. And very impressive. In fact, I think that uh, you could probably say, um, if I can find it, very impressive. Yeah, I agree, Captain. <laughs> Nick. Um, he wasn't even moving his lips. Wow, well, quick <laughs> certainly, but makes me think that they might have, um, you know, uh, just stop things working for the moment. They must have had a pretty good clue what had occurred Mm -hmm. uh, in that length of time to decide to put a a stop on all flights until they'd fixed or at least got a workaround. Yeah. The, um, let's see, a quick interim fix proved easy when operations staff turned off the automatic uplink of the data to the aircraft and switched to manual manual requests. We didn't have the bug anymore. 
Let's see. Uh, Brad has a question here, Jeff. Oh, Brad has a question. I understand the performance issue, but wouldn't the pilot recognize the over-rotation and avoid the tail strike? Well, that's a good question there, Brad. I, no. I think that uh, that's something, you know, it, it, for us, you know, I'm, there are a lot of redundancies and backups and that kind of thing, but you have to use but, as well, a, it, yeah. It's not an over-rotation, is it, Jeff? What it means is that you are rotating at a set rate to let's guess, 15 degrees nose up. Mm -hmm. uh, and during that rotation, you're expecting the aircraft to lift off and the tail to steer clear. If you're doing it too slowly, if you're rotating, say, 10 or 15 knots early, you're still going to rotate the airplane at 15 degrees, but your aircraft won't have left the runway. So because of that, you're going to bang the tail. So the guys are still, they're not over-rotating, I don't think. I think what they're doing is they're doing a perfectly normal rotation, okay, yeah. but the aircraft isn't lifting off in time to keep the tail clear of the runway. Right. And maybe maybe what he means is that, would you, I'm wondering, I don't know, because I've never, you know, over or rotated the aircraft, you know, five or ten knots or more below the calculated rotation speed, the correct rotation speed, to know exactly what it feels like. But I'm wondering if maybe there is a different feel to it than you would normally have to think, hmm, something's not right. But I think... Uh, I would normally rotate a little slower than you might expect because yeah. you're going to have less control authority because you're going slightly slower. Right. So it might take a bit longer than normal. But I think we also... I think all of us would say that you have to... Um, well, here's an Alaska captain, um, a quote from him. He said that for, as for many things in aviation, pilots routinely use an acronym when they do the, t the pre takeoff sanity check TLAR, which means that looks about right. So we do have kind of, you know, basic ideas of, you know, based on the weight of the airplane, what we should probably see as far as, you know, uh, performance numbers that, uh, look about right. But I don't know. Maybe in this case, maybe there, maybe there's not a way to really see that uh, clearly. That something is really not right. Yeah, I think it's just having a general feel for the what weight your aircraft should be, and going, hang on a minute, this looks a bit light. Don't we have a full load? And you know, um, the trouble is that you know, the aircraft I operated, that for example, you know, you used to have a, could I easily have a seventy or a hundred tons of weight difference from one flight to another depending on the passenger load and what kind of uh, cargo you had on board. So um, those kind of uh, rounded guest figures, uh, will we normally have that weight for this flight at this, you know, the time of the day? It can be a little hard. Um, there was no real rule of thumb to use, but uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, well... Um, I guess the, the bottom line for this is that how important it is to, you know, check those numbers. Don't completely be, you know, um, uh, complacent when it comes to just assuming that the automatic data that arrives at your jet is going to be exactly right and kind of have an idea. And then when you're actually in the process of trying to get the airplane to fly, you know, just. And I don't know. I've never flown this airplane model. I have heard that it is very sensitive to tail strikes because of the from the main landing gear back is a huge piece of fuselage, and there's not a lot of clearance, and you have to be very careful. 
uh, with uh, with with the rotation, and uh, it may have been just so quick uh, that it, it just happened so quickly that there was nothing that they could do to counteract it. I don't know. Well, you know, the rotation rate is uh, your rotation normally takes what five seconds, uh, and by the time you get to your um, the target angle, uh, nose angle that you're going for to get the aircraft off. Um, it, it's very hard to work out, like in my experience, uh, that you haven't left the runway. I mean, the aircraft's starting to get lighter, but you've got to have clearance at the back end by, because you've you know started to lift the wheels off. Uh, and you've only got one or two seconds to go, oh, hang on a minute, I haven't got off, and what are you going to do then? You're going to push the aircraft forward again, or what are you going to do? You're going to um, put more power on. There's lots of things you could do to try and rescue the situation, but uh, you know most people would just hang on and wait just for the airplane to fly away. But you know you're probably a bit late on a long airplane when you've scraped the end. Um, I was just going to go back to the FAA's comment uh, from. Uh, I'm trying to find it now. Uh, it was the FAA's administrator who seemed to, if, can you, here we go, acting FAA administrator, uh, blah, 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 blah. Okay. No, I can't find it now. So he seemed to indicate that it was there was absolutely no danger. <laughs> there was absolutely no worry in these two incidences. And I'm going, if you've underestimated the weight of your aircraft by 30,000 pounds, I don't know what that would be in tons, and I don't know the performance of this particular airplane very well, but I would take it quite tons? seriously, any underestimation in weight, because of the fact that you're going to use a much lower power setting now. You're going to flex the engines uh, back um, so that you don't need to use so much takeoff uh, run. And if you're not on a particularly long runway, that difference in engine power could mean you spend a lot longer on the runway and get very close to the end, which is going to affect your your first and second segment climb rates. If there are obstacles there which uh, you would otherwise have cleared, you might not. You might be concerned that you might not clear them with sufficient um, space. So I, I'm, I'm not with the FAA here saying that, uh, that there was no danger in this partic these particular events. I wish I could find the quote, but it's a very long set of notes, and I can't, sadly. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw it as we were going through it as you were reading it, but... Um, there you go. Sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. And uh, I this happens to me all the time. I'm thinking I know there's something in here that I wanted to quote or read, and I can't find it. Yeah. Until after anyway. we've moved on to the next news item, and then I find exactly it. right. But but I I think this is quite a serious problem. I mean, this is a significant performance error, and uh, I don't think it can be uh, dealt with lightly. I think it's quite a serious one. Yeah. Now there, there's also said something here about. Um, uh, the the company um, that they contract with to provide this data. Um, so they, uh, let's see, 
The update to the dynamic source software had been tested over an extended period. The bug was missed because it only presented when many aircraft at the same time were using the system. So I think they're going to, oh, they're, a test of the uh, software now is uh, under high demand is, uh, has been developed. So they've, they've learned from this as well. It's pretty serious stuff. You got to make sure that, you yeah. know, the data that you're uh, sending to the, uh, these flights is uh, accurate, uh, could have, you know, major negative consequences. Absolutely. Yeah. We used to have a, um, a, a similar system uh, before we started using electronic flight bags and things. And um, we ended up with a few uh, erroneous zero fuel weights, weight aircraft weights that we were feeding into the performance uh, and sending off to the, uh, what I suspect might well have been the same company in Sweden. It was certainly somewhere in Scandinavia. And then a few seconds later, back would come your performance figure. So it worked in a very similar way. But um, we had a few errors, and our f- the company then devised a system that if you had put in the wrong weight, um, made a mistake between the... Uh, final weight and the zero fuel weight, for example, put them in the wrong boxes. Um, the system would recognize that there was likely to be an error and it would go zero fuel weight, very low, please recheck your figures. Um, so that it would give you a heads up that you might have put the wrong number in the wrong box. Like when you try to, if you have to manually enter your uh, lat long when you're starting up your inertial reference system and it goes, Really? That doesn't yeah. <laughs> seem like it's even close to where it was when this whole thing shut down. Check that again. <laughs> and you yeah. can you can, you know, keep entering the wrong data. Um and finally it'll go, okay, okay, uncle, I'll take it. But I don't think it's right. <laughs> but here we go. Yeah. So I warned you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I warned you. Um and uh but yeah, usually that's one of those red flags. You know, like if it keeps telling you to do something like over and over again, you're thinking, mm, maybe I should investigate this a little bit more, see what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Um, good discussion and a great discussion and input from our audience uh, and uh, several Lots of pilots professional in aviators right there. in there. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's really helped. Thank you. I mean, that's the great thing about this show is our audience, our, our community and uh, helping us convey the message to uh, everyone out there as accurately or at least at uh, 50%. Lots of different experiences they've had. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's continue uh, with this next one. Um, uh, Pilot was held hostage by... uh, I think he's still there. I think it's not was. Oh, oh, not held. uh, Not was, but is. uh, I don't know what the current situation is. Anyway, separatist rebels in... Papua have released photos of an apparently healthy pilot. Here, let me add this to the stream. Yeah, guess guess which one's the pilot. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, no, neither do I actually. And uh, they took this. I think pilot. it's the guy with the flag. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they apparently uh, took a healthy pilot hostage a week ago. Of course, this was February sixteenth, so it's been a few weeks. Uh, Philip Mertens, a New Zealander landed his Susi Air Charter flight at Paro Airport in a fractious area of the Indonesian territory on February 7. He was seized at gunpoint by members of the West Papua National Liberation Army, the TPNPB, who then torched his airplane. 
That's not nice. It's uh, not going anywhere. There were five passengers on the flight, but there has been no word about what happened to them. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, the rebels, there, there are some tribes over there that are, um, uh, what are they, uh, the, the eat people. What is it called? Yeah. Uh, Cannibal. uh, cannibals. Oh, well, there was some, yeah. And I don't think it still happens, but they were one of the last places in the world where you could still find headhunters and they used to shrink the heads. Oh boy. Anyway, yeah. um, maybe that's what happened to the passengers. I don't know. The rebels have been demanding that flights to Paro cease and say they won't release this pilot from New Zealand until they gain independence from Indonesia. Okay. Uh, the group claimed a responsibility in a Facebook post on Tuesday. TPNPB has admitted the responsibility for the burning of the plane and taking hostage of a Susi Air pilot who is a citizen of New Zealand, and we keep our promise and are politically responsible, it said in the statement. Indonesia has controlled the region since 1969, and the rebels have been fighting it ever since. Indonesia considers the TPNPB to be a terrorist organization. New Zealand isn't commenting. So. I think he's still there. Hmm. He's still there, huh, Les? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's not good. Um, well, I, I've no doubt they'll negotiate their way out of this, but uh, it's, the remote plants of Papua New Guinea uh, are pretty inhospitable, and I don't suppose they've, they're anywhere close to what we would term civilized. So I expect this poor chap's having a bit of a rough time of it while... Um, you know, they try and work out what they're going to do with them, and if the if they're going to, um, you know, use use him to get their aims. I don't think the Indonesians are going to give up any grip on the country just because of this event. But it certainly, you know, it's hit the news. So yeah, uh, the Papua New Guinean rebels are you know back on front page headlines. Exactly. I don't know about you, but something about this picture is it looks. I don't know. I, I it looks familiar to familiar? me. I think. Oh, that's it. Yeah. So. Um, okay. Um, if you're listening to the audio only podcast, you have to watch the <laughs> the video yes. to see the picture I threw up there. Um, and threw up is probably a great word for it. Okay. Um, moving on to uh, this next one from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Uh, a, really this is bound to be fun then. Yeah. Yeah. A small fire inside New York JFK's Terminal 1 led to big consequences with a 16-hour, quote, flight to nowhere when an Air New Zealand flight from Auckland was forced to return to Oratoroa? Uh, uh, New Zealand. Yeah, a, a place in New Zealand. After no, it, no, that's New Zealand's oh, that's, name. They, they're, they're, oh, that's their Maori name. They're, oh, that's their they're, indigenous people's name for name, New yeah. Zealand? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, why did they do that to me? They could have just said know. New Zealand. Uh, they, I, th I believe that means white, a long white cloud. That's right. Oh, I think okay. kind of the long white cloud. Uh, Liz says, you are correct, sir. Anyway, uh, so a uh, 16-hour flight to nowhere where uh, when an Air New Zealand flight from Auckland was forced to return to New Zealand after it had already made it halfway across the North Pacific Ocean en route to New York. The fire broke out in the early hours of Thursday morning at JFK. It was quickly and safely extinguished, but not before it damaged power systems that left the entire terminal without power. Terminal 1 serves around 20 foreign airlines, and while some yeah, carriers... They, they would never have a fire in one of the domestic terminals. 
Well, no. All the American airlines. No, it's all the foreign blokes. That, ah, you know, copy. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Cons conspiracy theory theorist <laughs> guy. Uh, Terminal One serves around four, 20 foreign airlines, while and while some carriers were able to, to divert aircraft into other terminals, others were told there was simply no spare capacity and that they wouldn't be allowed to land at JFK on Thursday. Air New Zealand found itself marked as one of the airlines that wouldn't be allowed to land at JFK, but not before its ultra-long-haul uh, NZ2 Auckland to New York flight had already taken off. In fact, by the point that the pilots of the Boeing 787 Dreamliner finally learned that power at Terminal 1 wouldn't be restored in time for their arrival, they had already been in the air for more than eight hours at this oh, point. <laughs> that's about, oh, that's like 10 times longer than my average flight. Um at this point, the pilots reportedly made a suggestion to at least get the passengers to the United States. I agree. I Messages from the flight deck that were obtained by Aviation Insider X John NYC on Twitter show how the pilots asked to divert to Houston, where passengers could could uh, get onward domestic flights or wait in hotels before continuing on to JFK. When this suggestion was rebuffed. The pilots even suggested a quick pit stop and crew change in some other U.S. city before carrying on to New York. This idea was also declined by the airline. Instead, the aircraft was forced to make a 180-degree turn and head straight back to Auckland, where the passengers and crew landed 16 hours after taking off from the very same city. A spokesperson for the airline, however, defended its decision to return to Auckland, saying in a statement, that diverting to another U.S. port would have meant the aircraft would remain on the ground for several days, impacting a num number of other scheduled services and customers. It wasn't, no, I'm not sure that's entirely yeah, where's, true. Do you have your uh, BS flag somewhere nearby? Yeah, that you can start I, I waving? do. I've got a really big one, <laughs> and I'm waving it right now. Are you okay? Um, I mean, if, if you could min-rest the crew uh, 12 hours, and then they could take it on to wherever you wanted. And by mm -hmm. that time, they'd have probably sorted out the problems at JFK. Um, so I'm not too sure about that. I'm with the, the captain or the crew on this aircraft saying, well, there's got to be a better way to treat our passengers than particularly, you know, the hundred or so that are downing economy, giving them a 16-hour uh, tour of the ocean and then put them back on the ground again, back where they came from. I think that's that's probably not the ideal way to run the airline. But what do I know? It's they quite been rude. Given a re yeah, refund so. on their I think feet. So my, my my guess would have been put them anywhere in America mm -hmm. uh, and um, yeah, min rest the crew and you know try again in twelve hours time and see if you can get into JFK or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know. It's, it's got to be, or, or just somewhere close. You could even take them to Boston or somewhere. Newark. And bus the crew. Yeah, or Newark would be like right New across York. the Hudson River, you know. Yeah. Darn close. And they have yeah, nice are, long I think there were, there were a lot of ways they could have dealt with this. And yeah. I personally think turning it back was probably not the best one. But what, yeah, like yeah. I say, I, I wasn't there. So. Well, it wasn't just the passengers on board the Air New Zealand flight that had a long day, though. A number of other flights were also forced to do, uh, either divert or return to their origin, including Korean Air Flight 85 from Seoul, which returned to South Korea after more than five hours in the air. Several other flights were able to, to uh, divert to other New York area airports. Okay, so yeah. I guess they finally decided to draw the line and say, okay, we can't keep, we can't accept any more. But yeah. you, know, you know, as you said, Captain Nick, anywhere in the U.S. would have been 
better Preferable. for the passengers. <laughs> yes, than... Yeah. Now, uh, Virgin, Virgin would have been fine because we have uh, a very close uh, association with uh, Acme. Mm -hmm. So that uh, we share a lot of their facilities uh, at JFK, so they would have found us a parking space on in on one of their stands, and that would have been fine. Yeah. Well, main man Micah in our audience says, "I wish that dispatcher Mike was around to discuss how this might have been handled." Yeah. Uh, not only is um, Mike a dispatcher, but he's also um, a, a big cheese in the uh, Acme Operational Control Center, and. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he has a lot of knowledge and experience in dealing with this kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's too bad that maybe, Mike, if you're listening, maybe you can send us some feedback and tell us, you know, some of what's right. going what on behind done? the scenes here. What would you have done differently? Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. What else to say here? Um, the Air New Zealand saga comes less than a month after Emirates operated a 14-hour flight to nowhere when a Dubai to Auckland flight was forced to make a mid-air return because of wild weather that flooded Auckland Airport's international terminal. Uh, I see. Ah, Auckland, you know. Yeah, that's the common thread. They did thread. Uh, to some other foreign carriers. Yeah, mm. they're just getting a taste of their own. Exactly. Okay, uh, we'll keep going. And uh, this is from HuffPost.com. Roger sent this in. This was uh, sent in from Radio Roger. A pilot flew around northern England with his aviation instructor unknowingly dead beside him. So sad. After the man suffered a fatal heart attack, which the pilot thought was him just joking around. According to a newly released safety report, the pilot had just taken to the sky over Lancashire on June 29 when he said that the 57-year-old senior flight instructor... Wait a minute. Is it is he a senior flight instructor because of his age or because of his of his mm -hmm. experience? Because that's pretty young compared to me. <laughs> yes. um, I I don't know. There's no such rank as senior flight instructor. That's no, what we sort of. It's an honorary. I they think. embellished this a bit. Okay, yes. let's say when he said that the 57 year old flight instructor slumped over as if he were sleeping, according to the report by the Air Accidents Investigation Branch which investigates civil aircraft accidents and incidents within the UK. The pilot, not identified in the report, said he had asked the instructor to accompany, accompany him for a single circuit around Blackpool Airport. This request followed the pilot canceling his initial plans to fly out of the airport solo after deciding that the crosswind was above his personal limit to fly on his own. The instructor agreed. So this this guy was you know pretty safety conscious and said, yeah, I need to go up with the instructor yeah. just to make sure. So the, so the instructor agreed, and the pair spoke normally as they taxied on the runway in the single-engine Piper PA-28-161, which I think is a Cherokee warrior. Shortly after takeoff, however, the pilot said that the instructor's head rolled back, and he appeared to be pretending to nap. The pilot said he thought nothing was seriously wrong, and he continued flying. The pilot knew the instructor well, thought he was just pretending to take a nap whilst the pilot flew the circuit, so he did not think anything was wrong at this stage. The pair continued to fly, and eventually the man's head slumped onto his shoulder, but the pilot still thought the instructor was just joking or joking with him and continued to fly the approach. It wasn't until after they landed that the pilot became concerned as the instructor was still not responding. He signaled an emergency crew to assist, but the man could not be revived. A later autopsy determined that the man who had a history of high blood pressure and had been taking medication for his condition, had suffered a heart attack. 
People who had spoken to him in the morning of the incident said he was his normal, cheerful self, and there were no indications that he was feeling unwell. It noted three people who flew with him before the incident said he seemed well and nothing abnormal had occurred. So, wow. So, what a joke. Well, huh? I mean, he must have had a medical, so it can't have been too serious a problem. Yeah. Um, very sad. Um, I personally might have given him a shake and tried to see if he was all right a bit earlier, but he only basically did one circuit and landed. So hmm. that's fine and beautiful. Whereas the first the first line of this story, which actually uh, I think you might have just passed over, was a pilot flew around northern England with his aviation instructor unknowingly dead. So it <laughs> made it sound like he went for a tour of the countryside mm -hmm. with a dead pilot beside him. But uh, no, I think he just did the one circuit. Didn't yeah. He? Well, that's northern yeah. England. He was flying around it. <laughs> yeah. Well, technically, I suppose it is. <laughs> not yeah. the way I interpreted it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's sad. But, um, yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? These jokers. He died yeah. doing yeah. something he loved. Yes, you're We're right, Liz. Die he died point. doing something he loved. That's for sure. Yeah. I could. Well, okay. Uh, we should probably move on to the next segment, which, of course, is getting to know us the time of the show where we kind of get all caught up in what everybody's been doing well everybody that's here to let us know what's been Steph's going on on her way you can announce that. oh that's right steph is on her way home so hopefully friday she'll traffic, be joining though. us uh, soon of course it's friday afternoon Yay. traffic is usually not very pleasant especially around this hour of the day seven, five o'clock it's funny okay. isn't it because we get a lot of people who leave early on a friday so the density of traffic is actually more spread out rather than hmm. all happening at cease work. A lot of people leave early, so I often find it better. Well, you know, the thing that I found, at least here in Atlanta, is that Friday mornings are usually lighter than your normal, you know, day, day of the week uh, commute uh, to work. But in the morning of Friday, for some reason, I'm sure there's a reason for it, uh, the uh, the traffic is lighter, but the afternoon rush hour traffic on Friday in Atlanta, uh, where it, where it normally starts yeah. maybe around three thirty four o'clock, it starts maybe one o'clock yeah. two thirty two o'clock whatever. It's like much earlier, and it's nobody just awful. works in the afternoon here. Yeah, oh dear. So right. I don't. I guess uh, it's people getting away for the weekend. Is it? I guess I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what's going on with it. I've always scratched my head and wondered why. Why is it so light this morning? It's Friday, but whatever. Um, anyway. One hour mark. One hour. Thank you, Liz. We're at the one hour mark, she says. So we're, we're on track here on our, our segment schedule. And uh, let's see. Nick, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I want you to go first because okay. it looks, sounds interesting. Yeah, I have a few things to uh, talk about. Um, I flew. Week. Well, I had the you know I did the weekend thing. I think we recorded on Saturday morning. And then I had the yep. singing Saturday uh, afternoon evening, and then uh, all the. Uh, actually, I I had a little bit of a sleep in on uh, Sunday morning. I didn't have to show up until midday, and did two masses on on Sunday, and then um, had Monday off, uh, and I had my FAA. Uh, first class physical. Second to last one. Second to last one. Only one more to go in August. And uh, passed that with flying colors. And uh, went on out on Tuesday on a trip, uh, two trips this week, two two-day trips, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And uh, I was contacted by a gentleman 
uh, an APG community member for for some time now. uh, That uh, you know, he's wondering if I might like to uh, and maybe have my first officer join us as well. Have a little a little meetup in Tallahassee, and I said I would be uh, very happy to. So it was a lunch meetup, and I have some audio to play. Fingers crossed that this will actually play. Hello, everybody. We are, and when I say we, uh, I mean uh, my my favorite first officer, not long before he's no longer a first officer, Brent, and APG community member for quite some time now, um, Ken Hayes. And uh, we're at, well, Ken picked us up from the hotel uh, here in Tallahassee, Florida, and we drove up to... What is this place called? Greenland Barbecue. I know, but what is this area called? Like Center oh, this is uh, something or other? Center or something. They yeah. keep renaming it as they go through new uh, management companies for this mall. It, it, it used to be the Tallahassee Mall, but they've I think it's Tallahassee Center at this point. And it's in the middle of a redevelopment cycle. But these guys opened up a... a, a outlet for the dreamland barbecue people and they've got a nice lovely outside but under the cover set of barbecue tables and uh with big ass fans on the ceiling which we don't need today because the weather is spectacular but uh come july or august you need them and we're having a great time we are in uh yeah dreamland barbecue uh i, I guess they started in uh Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and uh, which I, I wouldn't imagine that the FSU fans would really take kindly to, but it, 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 we don't mind where your barbecue came from as long as you understand that you're here now. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I understand that and I accept that. And the big ass fans, I'm looking around. There must. This is a huge space that we're sitting under, and it's really a nice. It's kind of a cloud covered day. A temperature in the I don't know probably low seventies, uh, nice little breeze blowing through here. Uh, we I think this this area could probably hold a uh, several hundred people, maybe yeah. maybe a thousand or more underneath this thing with all these big ass fans over. And there I see at least one, two, three, four, five, six big ass fans. There might be more. Uh, anyway, so it's really 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 nice. And the barbecue, Dreamland does a really nice job. And uh, we're really enjoying the uh, the food and uh, camaraderie. And uh, Ken, if you want to say anything to the uh, the folks before we end the thing, I'm just going to say, uh, if you're ever coming to Tallahassee, give me a holler. We'll we'll get together and either go to the coast or come here. Pick one. Awesome. And he's got a really nice car that uh, doesn't make any noise, except for the tires. Got a nice little Tesla that will take you around. It's pretty cool. And, uh, Brent, you, you want to just uh, abstain, or do you want to say a quick hello to everybody? Well, hello, everyone. It's a nice uh, winter day here in Tallahassee, and we've had such an exasperating, hard uh, <laughs> trip today. This <laughs> one leg into the barbecue land we came. It's nice to meet Ken. Yep. This is the way to fly, isn't it, Brent? Uh, you got that right. One leg from Atlanta, 39 minutes, take off to landing, and kind of do the reverse tomorrow morning and then call it a day yeah so we're really enjoying this fat tuesday this mardi gras day and we hope you all had a great time as well now back to you all in the studio all right 
Thank you. Well, I don't know, Jeff. I can't see any other customers or any waiting staff. Did you actually get some food and beer? Well, so we uh, there were other people there, but they were inside the establishment. And we decided to, because it was such a nice day, just to eat out, um, you know, adjacent to the uh, to where the uh, Dreamland barbecue was situated. But we uh, was on the, what time did he pick me? Yeah, it was like, um, I guess he's saying that the, this area is a little bit depressed and it's still trying to recover from the pandemic. And uh, they haven't gotten the, the crowds to come back yet. And uh, it was before noon. So maybe we were just right before the lunch rush. I don't know. But yeah, there weren't a lot of people there. It was very quiet, was very peaceful. Uh, ex- what did you say, Liz? How was the barbecue? The barbecue was excellent. And um, I actually uh, have a Dreamland barbecue just right up the road here in Roswell. Ooh. And wow. uh, it's Have the, you ever been? I have. I've been several times. And oh. it's uh, it's very good barbecue. So when he told the me. The same menu? Or do they yep, vary? It's the same. Yeah, it's like a, uh, it's a chain sort of like. They, it's not like a big chain. They have you know pl- stores in various locations. Not a lot of places. All in the South, I believe. And uh, it started in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and uh, branched out from there. Uh, so what did you have? I'm just. Curious. I had a pulled pork um, sandwich, and uh, some Brunswick stew for my side. And let's see, Ken had something. I'm going to have to try. I'm, I don't know if they have it here. I'm assuming it's the same menu up here, uh, so like a uh, rib tips. I think they call them. Um, kind of like a, uh, I think that uh, Kansas Cityans like the um, uh, the burnt ends or whatever, and it's kind of reminded me of burnt ends, but it was uh, from the ribs, not I guess, or maybe that's where that comes. The burnt ends come from the ribs too. I just was thinking it came from the uh, from the brisket, but now that I'm thinking about it and saying it, I'm thinking well, maybe burnt ends are always from ribs. Hey, help me out in the chat room, you barbecue experts. Uh, let me know. But uh, anyway, it looked really good what he had. And uh, Brent had um, pulled pork plate uh, with a couple sides. So uh, it was uh, was yummy. Sounds good. Yeah. And uh, normally I'd have a beer, uh, but I didn't because I gave up beer, or I'm attempting to anyway, for Lent. And uh, oh, wait a minute. That was, that was Fat Tuesday. Oh, wait a minute. But why didn't I have a beer then? Oh, what's wrong with me? Oh, hey, it was they a- have they have rib tips in Roswell. Do they? Okay, yeah. Liz has just looked up the menu in Roswell, and they do have rib tips in uh, Roswell. Maybe that's <laughs> what I'll amazing. have for dinner tonight. <laughs> now that we're talking about it, Way I'm to starting go. to feel very hot. No, I can't. It's Friday. I can't have meat. Okay, They're gonna have fish. Mind. I'll have it tomorrow. Um, anyway. So that was uh, meetup number one of this week. I had two meetups, uh, and th- that was that first trip, and it was nice and easy peasy. Got home nice and early on Wednesday, uh, early enough to do some more singing, because that's what I do. I do flying, podcasting, and singing, and that's mm-hmm. it. That's my life. And uh, so the singing <laughs> aspect of my life kicked in because it was Ash Wednesday on Wednesday, and uh, did the noon and the uh, 5 o'clock and the 7 o'clock, so you know, three Three different um, services slash masses for that day. And uh, then got home here and got a quick bite to eat and into bed because it was a very early get up. It was about four o'clock in the morning when the alarm went off and flew the uh, flight over to Charlotte and back and then ended up in Dayton, Ohio. Oh my God, three legs? Yeah, three legs, Liz. It was tough. Yeah. And So uh, a few days back, or maybe a week ago, I'm not sure how long ago, um, one of our community members, Andy Harris, 
who is also a big part of the uh, several aviation communities, like uh, the opposing bases folks. He helps them uh, out Are a lot with their hotel? sound uh, sound issues and sound stuff. And what did you say, Liz? You mean Alpha Hotel? Alpha Hotel, yes. Uh, Andy Harris. That's what we'd like to call him at the APG. Yes, and right. uh, he contacted me and said, hey, would you be up for a meetup? And I said, absolutely. And uh, I think it was just too much for Brent. He was so tuckered out from those two legs in the previous two days that uh, he said that he couldn't. Uh, I, yeah. No, he doesn't want to spend more time with <laughs> I know. You. I told him, hey, look, you don't have to go, you know. And uh, Such goes, a tough life. You're excused. Uh, so, uh, so Andy picked me up from uh, the hotel in uh, Dayton, and uh, I suggested that we go to this place that I'd been to. And Captain Nick, you've been there as well back in 2019, that first night that we spent in Dayton, Ohio, before oh, we wow. did the uh, simulator and then tour of the uh, U.S. Air Force Museum the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called uh, Jimmy's Ladder 11. And I recorded. Oh, and, and Andy wasn't the only a community member that showed up for this meetup. And so let me get the picture ready and pop it up there and find the audio file. And here we go. Hey folks, I am with two uh, professional sound guys uh, who are also a student pilot and aviation enthusiast. And uh, you've uh, heard from both of these guys. Um, I'm, uh, let me start over. Uh, we'll not start over. I'm going to keep this going. We're in Dayton, Ohio. Dayton. And uh, just got, fin- got finished with a, a really good meal here at Jimmy's Ladder 11. Uh, for those of you uh, who remember and have been listening since uh, 2019, this is the place that Captain Nick and I stopped the first night when we came up here to look at the uh, U.S. Air Force Museum and uh, at least a half a dozen or so folks showed up for that meetup here at Jimmy's Ladder number 11. Our new hotel here in Dayton is just down about a mile away um, uh, near the University of Dayton. But you don't care, and, and Shingles doesn't either. Shingles doesn't care. Uh, sound we're not Dayton. Uh, and we're not Dayton, at least not yet. I don't know. I am eligible, though. Okay. Um, so uh, we uh, just finished, uh, uh, as I said, a really nice meal and drinks and great conversation. And uh, I'm going to start off with uh, Paul Verhagen. You've heard from him before. Uh, he's been to, I don't know how many meetups you've been to now. Uh, uh, three or four. I yeah. mean, uh, first one, uh, t- uh, what's it, two here in uh, Dayton and a couple in Columbus. Absolutely. Yeah, you drove up, uh, I think, the last time and, and met me for some uh, for a barbecue lunch over at Smokin' or Smoker. Right. Uh, correct. Downtown. And uh, picked you up at the hotel and... Took you around the block to the to the um, to the restaurant. Yes, and both of these gentlemen uh, hail from or live in or both uh, the Cincinnati area, and uh, so uh, Paul. We're, we're both West Siders in Cincinnati. Ah, well, I don't know what that means, but it must be a good thing. Okay, or I don't know. Maybe in your your guys' case, maybe not. I'm I'm not sure, but. Anyway, so, Paul, just uh, say hi to everybody in the community and uh, add or subtract whatever you'd like. And uh, I give greetings to all, uh, to Captain Nick, uh, Dr. Steph, uh, Rick, uh, Liz, and um, uh, what a pleasure to uh, chime in with all of you uh, each week and to uh, listen and participate sometime. Um, had the great joy uh, a couple weeks ago to see the last built uh, 747 
land in Cincinnati. Uh, actually, it, it came around once and um, uh, did a low pass and then came back in and, uh, and landed and taxied over to the uh, south, uh, south ramp. And that, was, that for me was pretty exciting right there. There were about 100 of us in the, uh, in the uh, visiting area. And um, that's it. That's, that's awesome. He actually has personal video to, uh, to prove that he was there when uh, that uh, last 747-8 uh, came through on the flyby and the beautiful landing. Mm -hmm. All right, Paul, always nice to see you. Always good to see you, Jeff. And now, the guy that's kind of responsible for having this little mini meetup is Andy Harris. Andy Harris, as I mentioned, uh, he's a pro sound guy uh, you know, uh, living in Cincinnati area. And uh, I think, was it the first time I met you for the 500th? Uh, yeah. Okay, uh, here we go. We're going to let Andy, uh, I, don't, I don't have a multi-mic setup, sorry. So I'm going to hand uh, Andy the mic. So I've been listening to APG now since about 2017, and I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours with the APG crew. I'm very appreciative of uh, the hours and dedication that they spend with us and the questions that they answer for the whole community. Um, if, I, if Jeff's ever in your town, I recommend meeting up with him and um, getting to introduce him. It's like meeting a rock star. <laughs> Not really. Um, thank you, Andy, for the kind words. I do appreciate that. And thank you for, uh, for treating everybody to this wonderful dinner tonight. Um, and I hope to uh, meet up with you, Andy, and Paul again in the future. Absolutely. I hope so. And uh, Everybody have a great day. Okay. Yeah. Back to you in the studio, Jeff. Back to you in the studio, Jeff. Back to me in the studio, me. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So we had a lot of fun, a lot of great conversation, uh, kind of half uh, aviation and half uh, professional audio um, stuff. But uh, it was a good time. So um, I think I have one more photo here. And um, yeah, that's when I was uh, actually uh, grabbed Paul's uh, bottom. And he wasn't expecting it, apparently. <laughs> Quite of a, a, a shocked look on his face. Anyway, um, I guess Nick didn't think that was funny. Hmm. <laughs> well, oh well. It's the second time you cracked it, Jeff. It's... No, that was the first time I showed that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. This is the first one. Here's the second one, and then yeah, there's that so one. much difference. Oh, that one. Ah, oh, okay. Brilliant. Oh, you weren't looking at it. That's why you didn't think it was funny. Yeah, I was. I was doing this bit. I'm doing this bit over here. Tim okay. Van Ram. Uh, Tim Van Ram says, "Must be a classy joint wrestling on the TV in the background." <laughs> we weren't <laughs> watching TV. I don't wrestling. know what's going on. It is a classy joint. It's a nice. It's an old firehouse that uh, what they. What did you have to eat? Uh, that they renovated uh, years ago, and it's can you still slide down the pole? Um. Or do they have dancers on it now? Um, I don't. Well, you know, you you were there. Do you remember that? In fact, right behind Paul, no. <laughs> you see. Well, you you hardly remember anything that happened like three weeks ago. No, um, that's very true. <laughs> but we were all seated at the bar, right behind Paul's head, right there, where that young lady is with the with the or her hair in a bun. Um, I remember it well. It was a lot of fun. What did you have? To Apparently, eat? Captain Nick. Didn't think it was a important was enough. To have I a loved memory. it. I think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably. I probably drank yeah. a bit much. I uh, I had um, and this I did not have a beer here. I had a gin and tonic though. A I didn't say I was giving up alcohol. <laughs> um, but uh, I had the um, the the Jimmy's sandwich or whatever they call it. Basically, uh, uh, their version of a Reuben uh, with Romanian mm. uh, style. Um, 
what do you call it? Um, pastrami, pastrami and uh, you know the the Thousand Island dressing and Cheese grilled and rye and all that kind of stuff was really Yum. tasty. And uh, let's see, what did Andy have? Andy had. I don't doesn't remember matter. what Andy had. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you're right. And then uh, Paul had a salad. You've had a busy week. Anyway, it was a busy week, and uh, but it was great, and because I just love, um, you know, spending time with people that listen to our yeah. show and support us, and uh, it was a it was a grand time. And how many so. legs today, Jeff? Uh, today, Liz, um, I had uh, one leg home um, this morning. It was early. Uh, had to get up really early. Had to set the alarm for three. 3.30 this morning, and because uh, it was a 4.30 uh, pickup at the hotel. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was tough. It was like an over the, – the flight was actually more than an hour block to block. Oh, my God. That was kind of pushing Brent and I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you have trouble with the toilet, don't you? If you... It's not – it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> it's more about being able to stay awake for that long. Um huh. Anyway. Thank God you don't fly for Air New Zealand. Yes. Okay. Um, so, Captain Nick, what have you been up to lately? Well, I have been up to a great deal, but I've got something coming up. And let's see if I can do this bit. Okay. Uh, oh, let me, while you're doing that, uh, let me tell you next yeah. week. No, next week I'm not scheduled to do a thing, although I do probably need to pick up some flying. Um this next week, uh, although I, I will enjoy having some time off, too. So we'll see. Uh, the following week, a week from Monday, uh, Brent and I are flying again, and we uh, head out on Monday night and fly to Burlington, Vermont. And then we're off all day Tuesday, and then we fly one flight back from Vermont on Wednesday. Uh, you need to, to put it. your schedule up on the APG calendar. I do need to put that up in the, uh, on the calendar, Liz. I just haven't gotten around to it because I've been very, very busy with all my flying. All that socializing. <laughs> socializing, yeah. Are you <laughs> ready, uh, Nick? Are you still working on it? Well, I just tried to share a screen yeah. and uh, nothing happened. Oh, let me, stop, let me stop my uh, screen sharing and see if uh, maybe that helps. Okay. Are you blocking Win him? Window... Uh, I didn't share. think it mattered. I think that everybody can share. Oh, here it comes. No, there it it's is. It's not working. No, no it, is. it is. I see it. There it is. Well, I can't. Stream. Oh, there you go. Well, that's weird, though. I, d- I didn't add to screen, obviously. I did. Oh, thank you. Oh. What happened there? <laughs> I know what that? happened. Uh, Captain Nick did his patented uh, swipe, oh, swipe the mouse, yes. the oh. Apple mouse thing. And if you do that with your Apple Mouse, guess what happens? <laughs> That's yeah, I, what happens. <laughs> I rolled sideways on my Apple Mouse. It, it, you can't see it anymore, can you? No, you need to uh, present Re- again re-share. and share, share the screen. Screen and that. window that share. Okay, and now you got to go and hit uh, add to stream, or I can do it for you if you'd like. I can't see add to stream. I did it. I did it. Oh, Liz did it for you. Okay. Right. Um, I don't know how to make it bigger, but there you go. <laughs> That's what she said. Um, <laughs> coming well, up. After the show, I'll, I'll explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just realized what I said then. <laughs> coming up on the 16th of March. Coming up. Uh, I'm only mentioning this now because uh, you never know. We might have uh, some listeners on the Isle of Wight. I know we've got Richard, whose idea this was. Um, who's come to a number of our uh, meetups and things in the UK. Uh, I'm giving a lecture to the Royal Aeronautical Society, the Isle of Wight 
branch. So um, they open their doors at 5.30, 6 o'clock. Uh, I'll start the lecture, and it run for between an hour and an hour and a half. And uh, it's Chasing Bears in the Phantom. So uh, that's their little promo there. Uh, and um, it's at their... Uh, the Isle of Wight College. So, yeah, there you go. Main Hall, Isle of Wight College in Newport. So if you've got anyone over there who's interested, oh, and I'll be staying the night in a rather nice hotel, uh, which I think is called the Royal Albert mm. uh, House or Garden Hotel, something. Anyway. Sounds fancy. We can, we can stop screen now. Okay. There we go. So there you go. Uh, they're they're hosting and you know, giving some meal and looking after me. So we're just nice. going to be very nice. Looking forward to that. Um, that is happening. And what else? Oh yeah, um, our new dog has uh, needed to be spayed because uh, she came to us uh, intact. and we have no intention of breeding from her. So it's a lot easier. So uh, she went in today uh, a couple of days ago, actually for a laparoscopy uh, to spay her. And uh, she's she, she's the one that normally now sits beside me during the show because she doesn't mind. <laughs> she doesn't go crazy when you're talking to nobody. She doesn't go nobody. crazy, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like poor rugged eyes, they're in bed. Anyway, she's uh, all wrapped up with a special bodysuit on to stop her nibbling at the uh, little scars. Uh, and she looks fine now. She's... Uh, very happy, um, very relaxed, but she, we can't walk her. This is going to be a nightmare. They're such an uh, energetic breed that, pardon me, not giving them long walks every day is going to be a problem. Mm. She's going to be trying to bounce around on the house. She'll be going mad um, mm. after a few days, so <laughs> we're not looking forward to the next week. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, thanks. Anyway, that's that's uh, really uh, it. That's all that's uh, happened in uh, Shays Anderson. Mm -hmm. um, do you want me to just mention uh, last week's show? Uh, if you cover must. Art? If, if I must. must. Well, I don't really mind uh, because everyone <laughs> will have seen it because they've downloaded the show. Haven't of they? course. Yes. Of course. Um, the uh, title was No Diving, and it was referenced the pair of aircraft we uh, covered that had managed to. Uh, during their climb out, turn it into a descent towards the ocean, which was not good. Um, so I thought, well, it, they no diving. That's that makes me think of those signs you used to see at swimming pools that said no petting, no bombing. Uh, is that what you call it in the states when you leap off the side and, and curl up into a ball and make a big splash? Yeah, we call it a cannonball. Okay, we used to call it bombing mm. um, and splashing all the girls. So I just tried to find a few sides, and there was the big one in the middle is very appropriate because that's a sign that I located and uh, subtly changed from <laughs> the uh, no diving, put a, a an aeroplane instead of the person diving mm -hmm. in, and changed a few, just removed a few letters, uh, prevent downing, what used to mm -hmm. say drowning <laughs> watch children at all times so i changed that to watch pilots yes, at all times watch those pilots uh, yeah, absolutely there's not a lot of difference cost between children and pilots but mm -hmm. uh sufficient you've got to keep <laughs> an right. eye on them around, around the swimming pool so 
that's what that was all about. It seems a rather nice uh, view as well, actually. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's very yeah. nice. Now, I'm kind anyway. of confused because the um, the it's clear to me that that is a high um, diving board with a with a ladder going up to it, but there's a sign on it that says no diving. That's Yeah, I know. That's there to fool you. It's just a tease. Well, at least the sign tease. isn't there. The, the, the uh, diving board's there to fool you. Ah. No, I... I've no I, I I that was actually I put that um diving board there because mm-hmm. I had to have a diving board oh, somewhere. Yeah. That's great. And but, uh, where is the show number located? Oh, have... that's a good one. Uh where was the show number? If yeah. you look uh, very closely at the big warning sign, yeah. Uh, underneath the exclamation mark it says warning number and there's the show number. Where? On little yellow yeah. Oh, there. Okay. The got to really zoom sign. it in. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I, I was looking at the exclamation point after diving. I'm going, well, I don't see what he's doing. Ah, right. Okay. okay. No, no. Yeah, I see the, the, the triangular uh, yellow that's exclamation. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it is. Okay. I, I was just wondering what aircraft type you think that is. Uh, mm, it's kind of um, rather strange winglets. Airboats. By the time I turned it into a. Someone wearing goggles and a snorkel. <laughs> yeah. Never seen that one, actually, out no. there. But um, I don't know. There you go. Anyway, that was a bit of fun for last week. Looking forward to doing this week's, of course. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for doing that for us. And no, uh, always, always some, it's always fun to see what you're going to come up mm. with. And uh, let's see, anything else, or should we just move on to the coffee fund? Well, I was waiting to see if uh, Stafford pitched up, but I suspect no, she's still she's on still the road. She just she's, sent us something funny. Yeah, she's uh, she's uh, still trying to make her way home in the traffic, and she saw some kind of a sticker on a. Oh, yep, yeah, view from the flight deck. Got it. Definitely a McDoug bus. That's the fella. Yeah. Yep. Um. Let's see. Let me read what. Um, Steph put here, um, there's a Jeep sticker that says, I can't go fast, but if, I can if go. My Jeep, if my Jeep was meant to go fast, oh. it wouldn't be shaped like a brick. What? Where are you seeing that? On the. Oh, I guess I have to, I have to expand this. Um, oh, yeah. I see it. Okay. Go around. If my Jeep was meant to go fast, it wouldn't be shaped like a brick. And then, <laughs> oh, you're the one, Liz, that said that you saw something on a Jeep that says, I can't go fast, but I can go anywhere. <laughs> okay. That's a Jeep thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Jeep thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway. worry the Jeep thing. That means thing. that Steph is listening, I'm sure. And she's on her way, she's on her way home. So hopefully she'll be able to join us soon. Uh, but in the meantime, we can coffee always uh, do the coffee fund. And uh, I gotta find it over here, just to let you know. Uh, normally, this all the slides and stuff is they are is a, a job that uh, Liz takes care of very well. Uh, but we had a little glitch before today's show, and so we couldn't upload the file because it was too big. And so I'm operating uh, in a different manner here, and I'm having to do all the stuff. So I'm missing it, Jeff. So we got to. Are you ni- are you missing it? Okay, well we'll get you it. back doing this again. It'll be very helpful for me too. Okay, well let's do the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. 
coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Coffee Fund, it's your way to support the show financially. A couple different ways to do that. Now, there are a lot of ways you can support our show. You can tell people about it. You can uh, recommend it. You can give us a great review. Uh, you can send us feedback. And uh, that's a, a great way to support the show. And financially, if you have some extra cash hanging around and you want to donate it to us, we'd be more than happy for you to do that. You can become part of the Coffee Fund Cadre, the Coffee Bar Club. And uh, the one way to do it is called the Coffee Fund Classic Method, which is uh, basically set up for like one-offs, two-offs, whatever, not uh, something uh, you do on a recurring basis. Although you can, there are several people that use uh, that Coffee Fund Classic Method as a recurring contribution mechanism and we do thank you all for that you know you all know who you are and uh the other way to do that is to become a patron of the show via patreon where you uh pledge a certain amount per episode and uh information about that can be found on the airlinepilotguy.com website airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee uh please consider it You'll be glad you did, and we will too. And you're wondering, well, why are you talking about all those wonderful people that contributed? Well, hmm, sad puppy face. We we didn't have any contributors. Oh, you know what? Hang on. I just remembered something. About 45 minutes before we started the show, I uh, got an email Late breaking from news. Patreon. And uh, it says that we have a new uh, new producer. Michael Allen Newman. Sorry, Michael, I don't have a, I didn't make a graphic for you because I didn't have enough time. Uh, but uh, so we do have a new patron uh, and uh, welcome aboard, Michael Allen Newman. And uh, oh, I need to take the I did. doggy off. Okay, thank you. Um, so thank you for joining uh, and becoming a patron. And we do really appreciate your support. And if you guys want to do the same, uh, as I said, head over to our website where you'll find information on how to do that. And now that means it's time for some feedback. Captain, incoming message. Let's start off with this. Um, actually, it was from a, a few people that were uh, reacting to our coverage of the FedEx Southwest incident at Austin Bergstrom International a couple of shows ago, episode 556, uh, where the it was a near catastrophe, if you'll remember. And uh, let's start off with this one, first one from Tom T. Uh, gentlemen, I listened to the 556th show and want to thank and congratulate you, Jeff, uh, Nick, Rick, for the demonstrated professionalism shown during the extended discussion about the loss of separation at Austin. This was the first time I can remember hearing the seriousness and anger in your voices. It was certainly not playtime. As mentioned, the, uh, this incident was nearly an accident report. Thanks, guys. Tom T. Thank you, Tom, for the kind comments. Absolutely. Um, we also uh, received some audio feedback from somebody that's prominent in the aviation world and is also involved with uh, a co-host of another uh, probably the biggest aviation podcast out there and uh, let's hear what he has to say 
Hey, hi there, airline pilot guy crew. This is Rob Mark in Chicago. I am a recovering air traffic controller after, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. And I'm also a retired BizJet pilot. And, and maybe you might know me from being a co-host on the Airplane Geeks. But anyway, a quick comment on, on 556. Even though I've been away from towers and radar scopes for a long time, boy, that one just that scared the bejesus out of me. It really did. When I heard that recording of the controller in the tower at Austin telling the Southwest guy cleared for takeoff with traffic on a three-mile final, I yelled at my computer, that ain't gonna work. Or imagine the uh, controller in, in the tower saying, uh, Southwest 1854, hold short of runway, 1-8 left traffic's on a three-mile final in Cat 3 weather. Gee, what a concept. And really, what the Sam Hill was the rush to get Southwest out in front of FedEx. You guys covered an awful lot of the what-ifs, and I think somebody may have mentioned, was this controller thinking about what would happen in the in Cat 3 weather if, if Southwest had aborted? Oh my God, let's not even go down that road. This controller didn't do himself any favors at all because of the way he used his voice. That is supposed to be part of air traffic control, the use of your voice to sound rather routine when things are routine. But when things are going on and they're busy, you're supposed to emphasize uh, Southwest 1854. If you can take it right out, cleared for immediate takeoff, runway 18 left, traffic's a 767 on a three-mile final. Do not delay, report rolling. That would have probably gotten somebody's attention in the Southwest airplane. They may have even said, uh, you know what, we'll hold short of the runway. Uh, but, you know, when we were in school, you know, a long time ago, and I was a controller in the Air Force, they said your voice is a very important part of air traffic control, and you use it for emphasis. But seriously, as much as I'd like to just beat up the controllers, I cannot for the life of me imagine in that kind of weather why that Southwest crew even took that takeoff clearance. I mean, it was going to take them 60 seconds alone just to find the center line. I mean, I know it. I've been there. But listen, one other thing I want to leave you with, uh, thanks for the opportunity to leave you a comment. Did you ever think that that APG acronym, which I hear a lot of folks use in reference to uh, airline pilot guy, could also be uh, pointed uh, to Airplane Geeks podcast? We're on episode 738. But, you know, hey, I'm just saying. Hey, seriously, keep up the good work, guys, and uh, we'll we'll keep listening. Staff, get the lawyers on the phone. Yeah, <laughs> we need to get some money out of them. Oh, How no, many no. shows? I, I think they're going to be suing us. That's right. Oh, you yeah, reckon? Yeah. Uh, because AG, a, APG, uh, airplane, airplane Geeks, I guess he's saying. They Although, don't use that, though, but no, we they, do. If anything, AGP is Airplane Geeks <laughs> Podcast. Airplane's one AGP. word. Yeah. Yes. So I don't AGP. know. AGP. I think we're I okay. think you made it your own, Jeff. We're going to be okay, I think. Anyway, well, uh, good always though. good to hear from Rob Mark. I mean, he is uh, man, a very so, uh, recognizable voice. Yes. Very recognizable. Lovely one. voice. And for a, for a time there, he was a senior executive or a senior um Editor, I think, at uh, Flying Magazine. People may have heard of that uh, aviation yeah, publication most, here. Most definitely. Well, Mohammed as a controller. Oh, Mohammed uh, in our live audience. So that's nice audio feedback for me as a controller. Thanks, sir. Yeah. Thank you, Rob, yeah, from Mohammed so. and everybody else Appreciate out there. It. It's always uh, nice to hear from Rob. He's a, a very busy man, but a uh, lot of uh, 
a lot of cred, a lot of aviation cred. So, and uh, let's see, finally, uh, the third one here. Uh, I, hi, crew. It's been a while since we've chatted. Having retired after nearly 50 years. From? What? Who's this from? Wow. Oh, this is from uh, Colin Goon. Thank or, you. As he says, Nettie's <laughs> Sea Goon yeah. in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. Hi, crew. Uh, Nettie Seek. <laughs> uh, I don't understand the reference. Is some kind of a cartoon or something? Uh, it's a, a, a very old radio comedy program uh, starring uh, some good old British uh, comedians of the period. So, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, from Colin. Hi, crew. Been a while since we've chatted. I was going to say that at the end, Liz, but okay. It's, oh, I'm sorry. it's from Colin. Hi, crew. It's been a while since we've chatted, having retired after nearly 50 years as an air traffic controller. Here you go, Muhammad. Here's another one. I'm now so busy, I'm finding it difficult to work out how I ever had time for work. And uh, I think that uh, Captain Nick could probably relate to that. Yeah, it's all the drinking you have to get done now. Yeah, and, uh, and it takes longer to recover. <laughs> yes, for uh, sure. Regarding Southwest and FedEx, as there was no way of visually separating the two aircraft, the controller had to ensure that the minimum radar separation of three nautical miles was maintained at all times, which in this scenario was impossible to obtain and ensure. It was never going to work. Further complication is allowing for the go-around with the faster approaching aircraft catching the accelerating departure. If the departure had been a heavy with a lighter on approach, then wake turbulence separation is required to be applied in the event of a go-around. In this case, once the arrival is inside 10 miles, there's not enough time to get the departure away, taking all the factors into account. With one at three miles and low visibility conditions, the door was shut long ago to get to getting one away. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Colin. Nettie Sigun. Say that again, Neil. Uh, Nick? Nettie Sigun. Nettie Sigun. <laughs> I can't do it as well as you. Melbourne, Australia. Thank you very much, Colin, for sending in and your experience, uh, 50 years as an air traffic controller. That's, that's amazing. A, a long time. That's, a, that's great. All right. Uh, anything else to say? I'm sure that we'll probably be talking about this for some time. Yeah. Um, we also have some feedback from AJ, and this is we covered the first half of his pay, uh, his, his feedback on the last show, and we decided to, uh, and he uh, basically suggested that we do this as well. Uh, let's do part two of his feedback. So you'll remember that uh, he went out there and he was going to show off his uh, flying skills to his friends and uh, he was going to retract the gear and impress them with how the 182RG model, uh, the gear retracts and makes a whirring noise and a nice thump or a couple thumps there as it retracts. It didn't work. So he had to return and got a an airplane with uh, gear down and welded. And uh, he says, we again launched from Guntown Delta in the second 182 with the landing gear firmly welded in place and aimed the spinner south. I spoke with Tiny Air Force Base Tower and received permission to transition their Delta airspace while climbing through 2000 MSL, which is a thousand feet above the ground in the Atlanta area. I asked the uh, tower for permission to switch to GRITS approach. They approved and I switched and contacted GRITS approach with VFR flight following and class Bravo transition request. They gave me a code and informed me there was already someone in the transition corridor and they could only allow one aircraft in the corridor at a time. 
Grit's approach, which is Atlanta uh, approach, said I could hold over a tiny Air Force Base field, which is Dobbins, uh, for several minutes or remain clear of the Bravo and go around. I was not comfortable orbiting around uh, brushing the top of the uh, Dobbins Air Force Base Delta airspace as I had heard a big scary flight of military jets request multiple PAR, which is Precision Approach Radar, approaches to that airport, so we opted for the Scud run around the Bravo. We successfully avoided a request for a phone call and picked up MB and CF, or Mike Bravo and Charlie Foxtrot, which are his friends, uh, from Roundy Round Racetrack Airport, which is uh, the uh, Atlanta Speedway, and sought the skies once more for Barnstormers Field. After a short flight, we joined the pattern at Barnstormers and set up to land on runway 13, which is the uphill direction. The winds were variable and swirly and made for a slightly exciting short final amongst the t- tall Georgia pines. The landing was more Navy than Air Force, but I did receive a round of applause from the other occupants of my own personal pinball machine. After landing, <laughs> uh, after landing and on the rollout, I felt the airplane pulling to the right, and I started to feel that sinking feeling of a flat right main tire. It briefly got a little exciting again, at least from my perspective, as my cohorts remained blissfully ignorant for a time, because there was a noticeable decline on the right side of the runway, and I had to wrestle a bit to keep the plane on the runway. Read as flat grass, not great uh, grassy ditch. Interesting side note, it takes a lot of power to taxi a near-gross-weight airplane on grass with a flat tire. So noted for future endeavors. I did manage to get the airplane off the runway under its own power and onto the conveniently placed mechanic shop concrete ramp. Unfortunately, the mechanic shop was inconveniently closed on Sunday. Long story short, I know, I know, I laughed when I wrote that too. With the help of some extremely generous and kind locals, we were able to source a tube and tire to get the airplane back home that evening. For the record, we found evidence the inner tube had a very small wear wear crack that did not appear to have spawned from the firm landing, and the tire was in perfect shape. My reputation and ego remains intact. All things considered, everyone enjoyed their experience and unanimously agreed they would like to go flying again. They are all former or current racers, which is code for gluttons for punishment. So go figure. Thanks for the great show and keep up the amazing work. Cheers, blue skies, tailwinds, and see ya. This is AJ Schramm. And uh, now, I don't know, racers, I I guess he means car racers? I'm not sure. No, I don't know. Tell about that. And let me see. I think I can share. But I do wonder how many orders of magnification he required to find his little crack on the inner tube. Yeah. Well, there's the <laughs> there's a picture on the um, on the video here, and we'll have in the show notes of the uh, of the right main tire, and you can see it's uh, not a big tire, and uh, it is definitely flat. And there yeah. are his excited uh, friends that he took up for the flying adventure. Excellent. And AJ, yeah, since we don't live that far apart, let's uh, get together sometime. And in fact, let's go get some rib you tips. people that are, yeah, get some rib tips. Uh, thank you, main man Micah, for explaining the difference between burnt ends and rib tips. Appreciate it. Um, it's been a while since we've had a, an Atlanta area meetup, so maybe we need to do that sometime soon. Hey, maybe we can Good combine idea. it. Oh, he's in the chat. He's oh, he's in, in the, the chat. chat. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. Uh, auto racing. Okay. I kind of assumed that because you went down to Hampton and, uh, the, uh, Good job. The Atlanta Raceway. 
So let me know, uh, Alf Juliet. I mean, just did you have to resort to a microscope to find your <laughs> your small wear crack? Anyway, I'm only joking. We'll have to wait yeah. um, for his response. Um, you know what? Great I was story, thinking, though. Um, an Atlanta meetup. I, I think I have an, an idea for an Atlanta meetup uh, sometime this year. Why don't we get together after I've retired and uh, have a big party? Nicely. Yes, that would be a good idea. Oh, Hairline, two millimeters. <laughs> what was you? What I missed? I was, Liz was talking to me in my headset. What did you say, Nick, that you were laughing about? I, I say, he says, hairline by oh. two millimeters. Oh, I see. Yeah, very so good. Bubbles okay. first. And uh, we're uh, the update on uh, Dr. Steph's progress. Uh, she's about five minutes out. Uh, her ETA is five minutes from touchdown. Oh, excellent. Okay. Um, Let's uh, go to, well, let's see here. Got too many things going on. I'll stop screen sharing and go to Evernote and uh, number four. Uh, oh, this is Alan. Uh, Alan's um, in the Southern Hemisphere. He said, uh, greetings from down under. The local media are up to their old tricks again, pushing out stories for their sensational value with scant regard for the facts. Oh, no. Really? Well, that never happens anywhere up here. <laughs> How would they do that? A week ago on January 18th. Okay, yes, we've had this for a while. Um, Qantas 144 from Auckland to Sydney, a 737-800 issued a mayday descended to a lower altitude and worked their engine checklists and then downgraded this to a pan. Not your everyday occurrence, but not life-ending either. Grave, okay, this is from one of the uh, news outlets that tweeted this. Grave fears were held for passengers. And then he puts in parentheses, I have grave fears for the standard of news reporting. <laughs> we all do. Um, next, from a major newspaper outlet, we saw gaping holes in the engine upon landing otherwise known as reversers being deployed. It wasn't even the engine that had the issue. So I'm going to put this uh, up. This is pretty funny. I'm going to show some of these uh, tweets. Oops. That's that's you. Uh, sorry, Bye, Liz. Liz. <laughs> Bye, Liz. She's still there. doing anything embarrassing. <laughs> oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Share. <laughs> Got to get control back. Uh, you do. Pictures. Yeah, we need you. Well, I need your help. Okay, there we go. There's some Look graphics. Uh, look at those holes in the engine. And oh, my God. And he said it wasn't the even. Engine the engine split in two. I think it was the left engine that was actually having the problem. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Physical I, damage. Yeah, physical damage for sure. Uh, I mean, how can you fly around with a big hole in that thing like that? Yeah, I know. It makes um, sense, does it? Yeah. Um, trying to find Evernote. Okay, here we are. Um Next, from a major newspaper outlet, we saw gaping holes in the engine upon landing, otherwise known as reversers being deployed. Oh, wait, no, I just read that. Uh, it still astounds me that reporters are not able to find someone who has a modicum of knowledge to confirm if they were looking at damage, a hole in the engine, or if it was just working as designed. Rant over. Uh, he also adds, it was interesting to note that neither the captain nor first officer provided any information on the engine issue or the emergency declaration. The passengers were only made aware just prior to landing that emergency services would be greeting them upon arrival and not to be concerned. Uh, I was on a 
Qantas flight, uh, Qantas A330 flight from Sydney to Perth a number of years ago, an hour out from landing, when the captain came on the PA and indicated there were issues with one of the engines, which had to uh, had a uncommanded spool down. He said they had shut down the recalcitrant engine and there was nothing to be concerned about. And then he gave a short spiel on how the aircraft was designed to run on a single engine, etc. He was very cool and calm in his messaging and with 90% of the passengers asleep, not much reaction on board. We landed without drama and on time. I would be interested to see how captains Nick and Jeff would have dealt with the situation from a passenger messaging perspective. Would you have told the passengers or left them in the dark? Looking forward to many more great shows from the crew and hopefully a meetup someday in my part of the world. Cheers and beers from a Kiwi Al uh, in Sydney, Australia. Uh, now, remind me again, the engine issue, did they, did they say exactly what it, they worked engine checklist, but they didn't really say that they uh, flamed out or shut down the engine, did they? Well, they, they declared a mayday, so it must have been reasonably dramatic initially, but... Yeah. Uh, once they secured the engine, they downgraded it. So it's obviously a bit of a non-event eventually. So would you th – this is one that I would probably have to wrestle with um, as far as telling them right away and then allowing them to really think about it for another 45 minutes to an hour or however long was remaining in the flight uh, or just mention it, um, you know, uh, or did they ever – no, they never said anything about it though, did they? No, they didn't. no. He he quotes another one where he did have yeah. a spool down. Uh, on the oh, no, no. The passengers were only made air. aware just prior to landing, and then emergency emergency services would be greeting them upon arrival, and not yeah. to be concerned. Yeah, I don't. You know, I can. I. It, it's hard for me to argue against that. Actually, um, I don't. Know, what do you think, Nick? Well, it, it's happened to me, uh, but then again, I was in a foreign airplane, so. When you lose an inboard engine and it just runs down, there's no bangs or thuds or visible change to it. Um, I didn't see the once we secured it, and uh, the only thing we had to do was descend about four thousand feet to a new cruise altitude because we were on now three engines. Um, well, I couldn't see the point, quite honestly, of of worrying anyone. We still have three damned engines, which is more than most. <laughs> Transatlantic airplanes have they usually start with two, so uh, we didn't bother. Uh, and um, the FO did the landing, and you know it, it was really fine. I, th I think a few fire trucks might have trailed us in, but we'd had it secured for so long there was no real need for that even. Um, so we didn't. Uh, on other occasions when I've had to dump fuel or we've diverted, etc. Um, then obviously there is need for an explanation. I don't see any point, unless there's something happened that is going to cause people concern at the time, I don't see any point in waking people up during your flight uh, when they're perfectly, you know, just resting nicely and all relaxed in order to get them worried for the final few hours of the flight. You might as well wait until... Uh, you know, you're making your descent and perhaps include it in your descent PA if you feel the need. Um, if uh, if they, they're going to have questions, is it, if it's obvious something's happened, they're going to have questions. Um, and you feel they, because there is an element of danger and you feel they deserve to know about that, then I think it's great to make a PA. But um, 
if if there in in your mind if there's absolutely no danger and no change to the, um, the type of approach you're going to do it everything is really perfectly normal uh, as it would be but you have a slight degradation of the aircraft systems then i don't see the point but clearly in this case look at these pictures clearly there's a big <laughs> yeah. giant hole in the engine nick absolutely uh, I, I mean yes. the surface appeared bent with the inside of the engine exposed i mean that's horrible that's frightening yeah i know terrifying must terrifying. have been absolutely terrifying looking at those thrust reverses <laughs> working away there the horror of it all speaking yeah. of the horror of it all oh my god joined us don't That's stab me. us, Steph. <laughs> the horror, the horror. Hello, Dr. Steph. She's all the things. Hi. Like everything that you could possibly think of as being just outrageously cool. That's what Dr. Steph does. Too many things today. Yeah, too I many know. things. Now, I'm not going to yes. try to find the script. That no, says don't worry about it. It doesn't do. matter. Just know that I've been working a lot and I'm glad to finally have uh, made you my look, way home to you. You look all. decidedly relaxed considering. She was drinking like a six-pack of beer tired. all the way home in the traffic. Of course. <laughs> I'm going to make a pit stop on the way. In the brown paper bag, I hope. Mm-hmm. Discretion. Discretion. She's, she is yeah. a doctor. No, there was no... I consumed a Starbucks on the way home. Oh, so. okay. All right. Yes. Okay. I have, Do I they sell beer first. now? No. Uh, not to my knowledge, anyway. Okay. <laughs> well, we're glad no, you I made it. No, I had to caffeinate before I got here, because otherwise I'd have been like... Mm. Are yeah. we going to take a break and <laughs> yeah. get, get to know her? Fair yeah, enough. let's do that. Uh, so what, what have day. you been up to, uh, Steph? What have I been up to? I'm guessing you guys already talked about, you, about what you've been we up did. to. We did, yes. Um, I've been working a lot. I do apologize for missing the show last week. I was fully planning on being here for that. Um, and I won't go into too much detail because um, I don't know who knows what yet and things like that. But just uh, to let everyone know, there's an extended mem- member of my family who had a very serious um medical event and I felt like I should um, provide some assistance and, and help um, navigate that situation for for them a little bit to the best of my ability. So um, still kind of uh, a lot up in the air there. So if you're the, the thoughts and prayers type of person out there, um, you know, that, that goes a long way and is appreciated um, for that side of my family. And they've been through a lot. So um I do apologize for missing the show last week, but it was it was good to be able to priorities. do some of that. And um, yeah, um, back home and just plugging away at work. So and really, my my <laughs> I didn't think I would have much of a problem getting here at least closer to on time today. But um, you know, sometimes when you're in the medical field, things crop up that are unexpected and require attention and some time commitment, and uh, that's kind of where things ended up this afternoon. So mm-hmm. um, everything there has been taken care of and is good to go, and um, some things that needed to be uh, just managed before the weekend came along, you know, uh, took care of all of that. So didn't want people waiting on news over the weekend and being surprised by by things that need attention. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I hope you have uh, some plans for some relaxing activities this weekend or are you jam-packed um, i don't know so i'm supposed to be flying this weekend but actually i need to that's the other thing i'm being bombarded with questions about the weather for tomorrow at the moment so i might need to um, give them an update here momentarily so we can uh, make plans because tomorrow doesn't look like a good day for uh, uh doing sky sports and flying and that type of thing it's going to be rainy i think and low overcast most of the day kind of on the chillier side compared with where we've been Man, I don't know about you, Jeff, uh, but it's been 
it's been really warm here. Yeah. I know a lot of the country has just been like in this nasty, cold, you know, snow. Yeah, breaking records. Um, yeah. Oh, it was like 80, it was like 82 degrees here yesterday, Fahrenheit, mm -hmm. um, which is, that's like May mm -hmm. temperatures. Yeah. So, not very um, Today was pretty warm too. It was 70 something still, but the clouds have rolled in and it, you can feel the temperature starting to, to drop a bit. So um, yeah, I'll have to send some messages about that in just a moment, but I don't think we'll be flying or in the air tomorrow. Um, Sunday looks a little bit better, especially in the afternoon. So hopefully we'll get a chance to, you know, commit aviation and oh, do some skydiving. And, <laughs> and jump out so, of a perfectly and jump good out airplane. Of perfectly good airplanes. Yeah. So I, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't flown for, I feel like I started off the year with kind of a bang. Um, we did some unexpected flying early in the, the season and then it kind of trailed off again. So and the weather's been more more winter like um, the past few times I've supposed I've been on the schedule to fly. So, well, I did some unexpected flying the other day. Oh. I had a really nice landing. Good, ha ha, ba doom boom. Thank you, rim shot. Um, wasn't not expected. Uh, oh, actually, I got uh, my first. I think ever. Uh, lady was getting off the airplane. She said, 10 out of ten," and I went, mm -hmm. "High five. Or high, was she high single? 10. High 10. Is high she 10. single? I don't know if she was single Man, my, or not. My I didn't ask her. She was walking. My passengers never single? comment on my landings. <laughs> huh? My passengers never comment Why? on my landings. No, oh, that's Why right. You don't that? have any. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they ought to pre-record something for you. I, I watch their landings sometimes mm -hmm. and make commentary, which they oh, never hear. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm sure it's always a very it's positive always. comments always. from you. Always. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. That's no, good stuff. Um, so yeah, that's all that's going on here. Um, hopefully next time we, we get together, I can talk about some flying related things. All right. Okay. So you said four, Liz, but I think you mean five, uh, the medical process. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Oh yeah. Five and 12. Okay. Five and 12. Uh, so this is from Andy, Andy Harris, uh, alpha hotel, if you prefer, uh, who, uh, I met up with, uh, just yesterday, last night in Dayton, Ohio. And he sent this in a while back, and we're finally getting into it. Getting to it, Andy. Um, he says, "Hey, all, if you could, how would you reform the FAA medical rules and procedures?" Cheers. And uh, basically, he kind of clarified that last night, and he said, "Really, what I meant was like, if there was one thing that you could change, what would it be?" One thing. Yeah. There's a lot of things, Andy. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you all want to give your your two cents on this, but. I think the biggest thing that, that I see and that is frustrating to me is that there's not a great process for, um, at least on the FAA side of things, um, when pilots are going for their medicals, for really clarifying um, maybe pre-existing or prior conditions. Uh, I think some of the most frustrating things for people, especially the up-and-coming generation, a lot of um, – this is just a, a general example. I'm not thinking of any one person in particular, but I've seen this um, – commentary brought up again and again in various circles and groups that I'm in where people have been placed on a medication, perhaps as a minor. So it wasn't necessarily 100% their decision to be on this medication. And this medication is basically like ADHD medications, um, primarily, is what I'm thinking about. Um, and it's a process. If you've ever been on a medication like that to go through and figure out how to, there's just a lot of testing and a lot of um, a lot of hoops and a lot of bureaucracy to make sure that, um, you know, whatever the diagnosis it was that was being used for isn't something that's going to interfere with 
flying or piloting abilities. And I think in a lot of cases, a lot of folks coming up now who are just starting maybe to get into flying or pursue a professional flying career, um, it was kind of a, a thing just to put kids on ADHD medications if they were kind of rambunctious and, you know, being a kid in a classroom to help focus them. And maybe it doesn't have much of anything to do with needing those sort of stimulants or um, attention-focusing medications to live their life as an adult. So I, I would change stuff like that where things have happened in the past, you know, have clearly been resolved, but end up being these big hurdles for people to have to go through. Um, I don't know how we accomplish that, but and maybe like, you know, do some kind of a campaign to the people that are actually prescribing these things to begin with and say, Hey, well, and a lot of them don't know, you know, they yeah. don't take any, they don't, they don't take future ramifications right. into account. They don't realize that that's something that might stop someone from pursuing a career that they don't even know is a possibility yet. Mm -hmm. True. Very good. Um, do you have anything, Jeff? Do I have anything? Um, not, not really. Um, I, I guess maybe just if there was a way to better inform uh, a lot of the people out there that have uh, AME, what would you call it, privileges or AME um, certification? Certific uh, yeah, who who are AMEs? Yeah, who are AMEs? That because we've we've come across this several times on our show where people of let's say colorblindness, for instance, is mm. a good example where. Some will say, you know, they'll just use the that book with the, you know, the whatever. What is that called? Uh, oh, stuff. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, yeah, Ish but anyway. Ishiwara, yeah, uh, some kind of a Ishiwara. Japanese sounding name. Mm -hmm. um, tests, and then if they don't pass that, I go, hey, I'm sorry, you're colorblind. You can't, you can't be a pilot. And then, but wait a minute, hang on. You know, there are different avenues you can, you know, uh, investigate, and quite possibly, and I think it has a pretty good track record of uh, success. For mm -hmm. people to do these alternative ways to prove your color blindness or lack thereof, uh, and color dis uh, let's say dis uh, discrimination, color Being able discrimination. To discrimination correctly. Yeah, you know, you don't have to identify it the same as everyone else does, but you need to be able to. Uh, use the information that might be being presented to you. So, how right? many people out there were turned away from this possibility of being pilots for their career because? The AME that they went to either didn't know or didn't. Maybe just didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Or didn't feel like yeah. make you know doing anything. You know, else. and and I think um, this is where it's there's a I see this a lot unrelated to aviation side of medical things. Um, part of my job, I think, very much has become trying to empower people to take control of their own medical conditions, whether it's something that I'm seeing them for or not. I think a lot of people will just take whatever's given to them at face value and not go an extra step to um, find out if maybe there's a better treatment for it, maybe there's a better provider for it, maybe there's something that they can do on their own. Um, and then also realizing that not every medical professional that you're seeing, whether that's a physician, nurse practitioner, PA in this, in our, at least here in the United States these days, um, is an expert on all the things, you know, mm -hmm. um, you have to seek out the person who's, who's got that information. We have so much knowledge now about medicine that it's impossible for any one person to know all of those things. And that's why it's become very divided into specialties and subspecialties. Um, but almost certainly there's someone out there who can help you with whatever the issue is, but you also have to take that 
personal responsibility on yourself a little bit in order to do the work to find that right. person who's going to be the right match. Oh, good point. Nick, you have any ideas? Well, I didn't realize it was going to be quite so serious. I was going to assume they'd hope that they would take a more relaxed attitude to recreational drugs. But um, <laughs> uh, actually, is it... <laughs> Hey, we, we want we want that other side of the uh, you know. Are, are, are we are we finally revealing the real reason why you uh, retired early? Retired, yes, uh, six months early as well. Yeah, I couldn't hang on anymore. You couldn't um, stay away my, from those recreational drugs. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, as far as I was concerned, I was on some pretty low level uh, monitoring drugs that would, would sort of help out with a little bit of uh, blood pressure. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, once I developed diabetes, uh, you know, just a few, uh, uh, you know, type two diabetic style drugs. Uh, that uh, if ever I wanted two weeks off flying, I would just uh, get the dosage of any of those drugs changed, <laughs> because that immediately meant I was grounded for two weeks while I uh, had to prove that you know any effects uh, that a slight change on these, any of these multitude of drugs was going to manifest itself as a big problem. And then, of course, I would have to be reviewed having gone through a two-week rest. So actually I'd end up with about a month of flying if I wanted. Uh, and, um, you know, that sort of thing just annoyed me a little bit uh, because I would play the game because I was, you know, I'm a good boy. Uh, I I would advise and I would get a letter back saying your medicals be suspended. I would advise the company and then I would duly wait uh, and take pills for a couple of weeks. And, of course, I know my body well enough, so I knew nothing was going to happen. Uh, it, and uh, after a couple of weeks, I'd have to go back and see the doc and he would say, yeah, that, yeah you're fine, no problems. And I'd write to the, <laughs> the CAA and they'd go... Yeah, okay. Um, you'll have to come up and see one of our specialists and once they've seen you. And I'd be going, what? You know, so they, they seem to treat things like uh, a major heart defect with um, in the same order of magnitude as uh, something relatively minor. Like a sprained like, ankle or something. Or yeah, I didn't really understand that. Like a paper that. cut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, it's, it's like you were treated with, uh, you know, kid gloves, and I didn't always feel that was necessary. So, I, on I the other to... hand, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. yeah, sorry. On the other hand, you know, because uh, you uh, you can't afford with only two crew on board, you can't really afford to have medical uh, problems with the pilots on board. So, it is, I do understand the basic nature of the need to look after your body, and particularly as you, uh, you know, get older where you're more likely to have a, a major event. Um, so I, I kind of understood that. Uh, I'm, I'm not really keen with the idea of advancing the age at which you can hold a medical because uh, I think 65 is probably enough. By the time you get creep it up towards 70, you're really getting quite close to the incidence of uh, medical events and it's going to become a lot worse and... Um, you know, I don't really think we're quite there yet. Um, but uh, the only thing, my, my caveat with all of the problems, and I've had quite a few medical problems during my career, was that you, 
you have to be open and, and honest with your doctor. Once you've found one you trust, uh, and there's no reason why all of them shouldn't be trustworthy, but, you know, once you find one you're comfortable with and you can talk through your problems and they understand where you're coming from and vice versa, I think it's very important to be very honest because your AME and your medical um, authority are not trying to stop you flying. This is the one thing I found very hard to get across to people who <laughs> said, well, why the hell did you tell them that? You know, they might have taken your license away. And I go, no, everyone I ever spoke to in the uh, this field, all they wanted to do was to get me back in the cockpit. None of them wanted to take my license away. They obviously had to suspend it and go through a formal review and make sure that it was all going to work out. But they were always looking for ways to get me back to flying. It might have taken a while, um, but, uh, you know, that was the attitude I always took to it. It never did me uh, any harm at all. So I want to piggyback like, on a lot of that, actually, yeah, Captain Nick, if I have a moment to, because I think um, perhaps there are differences throughout the world and how that really works or how that's perceived. I can only speak to, to what happens here, but there's very much um, just kind of a, a sense or culture of, oh, you know, don't, don't report things potentially because you'll end up not flying or you'll have to go through all these hoops or you'll spend a lot of your own money trying to prove that you don't have this problem that they think that you have. Um, and actually that's, you know, I don't have a specific for how to reform that, especially amongst the FAA, but having been on the um, receiving end of some of that difficulty, I can say that that sense is not always the same here. You don't always get the sense that they're trying to get you back flying. You can do everything they ask for and still get just very frustrating responses. So I do think that we need to figure out how to change that culture around because absolutely we want people being treated for their medical conditions. And a lot of these things are treatable and not any reason why someone should not be flying um, or trusted to fly. But there's a lot of, um, I, I think it's that balance between trying to sort out the things that truly are problems and the things that are problems but corrected and the things that are not problems that we're not good at, at least on this side of the pond. And it's frustrating. And yeah, I, it prevents I, people I, from seeking appropriate medical care. It, it's, I, I agree 100%, that 100% uh, Steph. Um, Bear in mind that my career is a little bit divorced from the reality now. Even as I was finishing my career, the large medical establishment that was present uh, down at uh, Gatwick, where uh, I used to go, that uh, called the Beehive, uh, where the CAA had their medical division, they were extremely well manned. They had their own doctors and specialists. You would go in there, you would play, pay if you needed an extra test and it wasn't covered by the National Health Service, you would pay a very, you know, reasonable rate to have an extra heart check or whatever it was they asked to have done. Yeah. Um, and it was all done in-house, uh, which even as I was finishing my career up, that all stopped completely and the staff were all shipped out. The whole system changed. 
And I don't think it's changed for the better. I would much rather see the uh, Civil Aviation Authority and their equivalents around the world having their own staff looking after the pilots uh, professionally and there is an integral medical unit doing their best to solve all their problems and get them back into the air. Yeah. That ought to be their primary That's, that's the fix. That's also the uh, logistical challenge in our modern medical society. Yeah. I put Maine Marin's uh, comment up there because uh, I think this kind of maybe gets to the heart of the issue. You know, the docs are great, but the block checkers are the ones that scare me. So you got someone there with a checklist of things and, you know, either you tick the boxes yeah. or you don't. And sometimes if you don't, then it leads to all sorts of, of issues. Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. anyway. right. Good discussion. question there. Yeah. That is a great question. Thank and you, Andy. We, we would change lots of things. Sorry, yeah. Andy. <laughs> well, you only let us change one or maybe oh, two. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I'm sure this will be the last time we'll talk about it. <laughs> Let's skip down to uh, 12. This is feedback from Bruce. Mm, Bruce. Hello again, ABG crew and community. Uh, when, uh, when the attached item randomly appeared in my Instagram feed, I immediately thought of one person. And guess who that is? Dr. Steph, now that they are cutting up Delta CRJ 200s, I think an appropriate use of the APG coffee fund might be to purchase a plane tag for Dr. Steph so she never forgets the good times crouching down to look out the window. I've made a contribution to the coffee fund in case you all think that this is a good idea. Of course, there might be a better use for the coffee fund, which is perfectly fine with me. And he says, take care all, Bruce. Well, Bruce, you know what? There is there's much better use for the coffee fund than buying one of these pieces of Yeah, like you know, actual what? coffee. Yeah. Hey, uh, so I, I actually have spent some time recently on the Mighty Deuce, um, not with um, that particular airline since they're Mighty cutting Deuce. theirs all up. <laughs> I think about something else. But I found I found Deuce. my favorite my favorite seat on the airplane. Yeah. Um, there are 13 rows of passenger seats. Um, and I think my new favorite is actually 13B. It is directly next to the lav. Mm -hmm. I would say across from, but literally you can reach out and touch it because that's the scale of Speaking this of deuces. Aircraft. Okay. Speaking of deuces. But <laughs> I found that because it's so small, people in general aren't like enthusiastic to either use the lav or spend much time in there. So um. it's okay. And because there's, it's all the way in the back, you're in the aisle, not the window. So you don't even have to worry about looking out the window, which would normally be my preference, but forget it. You're not going to see anything anyway. Mm -hmm. I can stick my feet straight down the aisle most of the time. No one's coming back there. It's lots of space. Yeah. It's very, and then I can, I have unimpeded access to the lavatory should I need it. Hey, that's uh Good Sounds point. good. And presumably if there's no one sitting beside you, you've got a good diagonal view out of the window. Yeah, that too. Excellent. That is, that is my new seat of choice on the CRJ200. So what Bruce saw on his Instagram feed was uh, one of these, uh, what do you call it, like a keychain, key fob um, things uh, from uh, Moto Art. Uh, it's a actual skin. Of, uh, yeah, that's the, it's a bit creepy. They write genuine skin on it, and I'm mm. going, whose skin have they used? The, the CRJ200. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, possibly. Yeah, that's what we're hoping. Um, 
yeah, plain I've pants. I've been out of Papua New Guinea and got some skin from. The... Well, maybe that's what <laughs> he's going to yeah. be contributing Kiwi to. Kiwi pilot the... skin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anything else, Liz, uh, specific to uh, no, staff? No, I think those are the two that we. Okay. Yeah, we've been kind of holding on to those. Do uh, all right. And and do you you need to leave us now to do something? No. No, Steffi. Steph. Me. Yeah. I thought I, I, may, I may have misunderstood. She said uh, you just yeah. got here. I know. Well, I, thought, I thought you had to do something about the weather. Um, I, when we start talking about other things again, I do need to send. I do need to send some messages here about the weather. I think yes, that's what she's I need to, to. I actually do need to look at the weather, but I was going to wait until you started talking about something, something else. Something boring, boring stuff you. that you don't care about. <laughs> that you can not pay attention to. Okay. All right. Well, with that, uh, where were we in the normal? Um, uh, thing number here six. is number six. Okay. Um, Sam Bolog sent this in uh, from Los Angeles. He said, hello all. This is Sam Bolog, formerly known as Sam from Los Angeles. thought I would share a few experiences during my training on the 172 out of Van Nuys. While performing a pre-flight check, my instructor was speaking with another pilot a couple of planes over. I had just removed the second wing tie down when a pilot untied the plane next to me, jumped in and proceeded to start and taxi away without pulling the plane out of the spot first. My instructor ran over yelling me uh, for me to grab a tie-down while he grabbed the other. He was giving the idiot a mouthful while he taxied away, giving us a smirk. Lesson learned. All right, what's, what's the problem here? <laughs> well, I think that it, it, it's courtesy, and uh, maybe Steph can correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of pull your airplane out of the way of... Uh, possible prop wash and other yeah issues it depends that, on it depends on how the aircraft are parked yeah i mean if they're just adjacent to each other um, see a problem but if it's where you're if if there's someone immediately behind you who's pre-flighting a plane then yeah you probably want to you know pull it out into the uh i don't know the, the onto the ramp or turn it the other direction or you, you just want to be courteous to people so okay um so Sam, they're saying there, there's nothing wrong here. This is what stuff does every day. Um, <laughs> yes. On uh, no, I just it just depends on. I mean, I know, I'm just how kidding. the how the planes are situated relative to one another. Yeah, you don't want to. I know Steph you know. personally. She's a very courteous person. She would never do anything discourteous. So I'm guessing they're on a fairly tight uh, area where there's lots of airplanes crammed together, and you might blow someone over. Is that what we're yeah. saying? Or here? actually, you know, grab the tie downs. Those are you know attached to the wings and uh, keep the airplane from you know, moving or flying. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Well, um, if I was in a jet, yeah, I'd, I'd mind my P's and Q's. But now these things are so low. Well, you know, you've done GA. Um, they're they want to fly bit. with a little bit of wind. You know, it's so. just that we lined the airplanes all up and we started them up and taxed them out of the line. Mm -hmm. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, Captain Nick uh, Sam doesn't uh, feel your pain <laughs> at all. Okay, uh, on uh, moving to the next paragraph. On another occasion, while preparing to take uh, an early evening instruction, the log showed that the last person to fly the plane was a mechanic after performing routine maintenance. During the check, I noticed that the intake filter was missing. We found it on a workbench in a hangar, clean and ready to be reinstalled. After installing the filter, we did a second complete inspection together. Another oh, lesson that's well Yeah. A couple of weeks later, while cruising at about 4,500 feet, there was a random knocking on the fuselage. Oh, had someone fallen out? 
maybe, sounding as though it was above my head. The CFI took the controls, did a few maneuvers, and decided to head back to the airport. We landed with no incident. I'm not going to tell you what the issue was yet in order to give you all a chance to guess. I'm assuming that Dr. Steph may have the best chance of diagnosing this issue. Since, a parachutist had landed on your aircraft. Since she has spent many hours in the aircraft and may have possibly encountered the same issue at some point. He said he, a random knocking on the fuselage sounding like it was above his head. And the only thing I could think of is maybe like the, the gas cap or something, maybe like yeah, not secured um, and like it's, it has like a little chain, right? That keeps yeah, it. Yeah, it has. Uh, so most of them do. Some of them. Don't. Oh, some of them. Do. <laughs> um, you know, if you if you left the um, gas cap, which is if it's a high wing aircraft, which I think they were in a one seventy two, was that right? Yeah. So most of them are um, secured to the uh, the fuselage with or to the wing with a chain, and if you didn't actually tie the cap back down or screw it back on. Um, it would be flapping around and banging on the top there and make that noise. I think. I think. Wouldn't you also notice with a sharp decrease in fuel as all the petrol evaporated? Depends on how long you were you were flying for and how oh, much gas. I don't know how quickly and uh, it would actually disappear. You have a whole other tank full of gas, presumably. So, um, all right. not that fast, but also not ideal. I'm wondering what maneuvers the CFI did. He turned it upside down to see if all the fuel went. And then looked to see if there was any fuel <laughs> pouring out. <laughs> Spin it. Probably no. not what uh, he did. Probably, probably <laughs> straight level. Yeah, not back, a 172. Field. Yeah, that's a good idea. So. Okay. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Well, Sam, you'll have, have to follow up. I have up. never encountered that issue, oh. to be fair. So, um, but. I know it's happened. I mean, certainly it's happened out there, and I'm uh, pretty paranoid about checking and double-checking and visually checking. Well, Tim Van Ram has a very similar problem as you had, uh, Sam. One of my last hotel rooms had random knocking from the room <laughs> next door. <laughs> oh, dear. And then uh, uh, obviously pretty, Tim pretty did rhythmic, some... probably, yes. Uh, did did uh, Tim do some maneuvers to... Uh, Determine the problem. Could know. be, could be. Yeah, I've I've heard of that problem in the knocking shops as well. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, here we go. Uh, number seven. This is from Javier, and this is something that that has been in the news a lot lately. Hello. Would like to hear if any or all of the crews in the program had any encounters with UAPs over the years flying un unidentified. Uh, aerial, a, phenomena. aerial phenomena or, something or phenomenons Javier Ramos sort of like have we seen little green men flying their flying saucers is that right. what we're talking about here I've seen a fair amount of like mylar balloons yeah I've seen mylar balloons like a lot I've seen the um, things that have are closest to uh, what I would say is it looks really eerily like something from, you know, another another place, another planet, or uh, yeah. extraterrestrial. Um, would be the in almost every single well, I think every time, it was really the lights from stars from different star systems or solar systems that are on the horizon and at night um, interacting with our earth's atmosphere can end up 
turning colors and it's really mm-hmm. pretty, but sometimes it's like, well, what the heck is that? that? It's just like, it really kind of looks like nothing you've seen. And you start having these fanciful ideas about what, you know, what you're looking at and what you're witnessing. Um, I've also heard many cases where lights that are outside or seemingly outside are actually reflections in the, in the glass or the plexiglass or whatever the material is on your airplane windows and windscreen um, and th- that your mind kind of just creates this idea that you're seeing something. But in, it is in a way an, an unidentified flying object out there, but I'm not sure. I don't know. I think Nick and I are probably in the same camp and, and likely Steph as well. Um, I, I don't, I've never really seen anything that I thought, oh yeah, there's definitely something going on that's not of this world. I, I have to agree, Jeff. I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I've got a, rather pragmatic streak about me and i don't have any fanciful ideas of there being uh, uh aliens floating around uh, who haven't made themselves obvious yet and you can only ever seem to find them in terribly bad grainy photographs that everyone's convinced uh, the final proof that they exist but considering the quality of uh, imagery we have available to us now oh, come on we have 4k uh, I, six 6p 12p whatever (laughs) you know like we have amazing resolution now come on yeah get a new camera all of a sudden you know no one seems to be able to take a decent picture of one (laughs) uh, in 4k or whatever exactly right so i i do (laughs) i do worry about that sort of thing um a lot and a lot of them come from people who have uh, a previous history if i could say perhaps in the belief of uh of uh, angels and demons and other strange um, things that they they might believe have uh, you know talked to them or perhaps they've been abducted. These are the people that probed. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> that often um, there's an angel over here that's just around the corner here that's staying with me. It's been here for a week. I'm oh, really? almost finished. Is that yeah. Hillel? Is his name Hillel? Oh, wait a minute. That's Hillel. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love him so much. I, I, I think of him as an angel. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, Captain Go ahead. Ridiculous Watts has a good Yeah, and I, I used to have a pot-smoking friend who firmly believed in UFOs and continually grilled me and never believed that I hadn't seen positive evidence. And he said, well, you wouldn't tell me even if you had, would you? And I'm going, damn well, right. Yes, I probably would, <laughs> but I haven't. And I wouldn't tell you about the fact that the flat, the earth is actually flat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have of all of this knowledge and I keep it to myself. Yes. I don't want <laughs> yeah. you to know. Captain Ridiculous Wits uh, says, I'm not sure, I'm not so sure Miami Rick is from this world. He's definitely an unidentified flying phenomenon. Yeah, Yeah, I guess you could say uh, that. For sure. Yeah. Anyone that irons his shirts with such rigor and then doesn't wear them. them. And as soon as he gets on the damned airplane, he's in some Hawaiian. I know, shirt. he's wearing pajamas or something. I don't yeah, know. I don't know what the hell he's he up must, to. He must keep up appearances outside of the aircraft. But he's he's a freight dog. Who's he trying to impress? Fellow freight doggers. Must be. It yeah. must I'm be. I'm sure there's some one-upsmanship going on amongst <laughs> freight dog crews. Well, I do like his ironing technique. He's he's very good. He do great great in the military. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time I used an iron. Ah, well, there you go. Well, you know, I bought one uh, and an ironing board. Have you used it? I have not used it. uh, And I've had it for two years, but I have my shirts 
pressed by the dry clean dry cleaner, so I don't really need. Uh, I've taken the approach that if Just it can't, so. if the if the wrinkles cannot be smoothed out by, you know, a spin in my dryer, it's, it then, doesn't belong in my wardrobe. Okay, you know, I, I have a similar attitude towards things that go in the dishwasher. That, you know, yes, we should never yes. buy anything that, that doesn't can't go in the dishwasher. Yeah, can't go in the yep. dishwasher. Sadly, my wife doesn't agree with me. And since I'm the one that does the washing up, I'm never going to change her mind. No. Mm. I don't know. Everything in my house has to be able to be machine washed and dishwasher safe. <laughs> yes. Great if attitude. I, if I ruin it because it doesn't survive that, it was not meant to be. Yeah, so. exactly. Let's skip to nine. Um, from Sam Dawson. Is he still here with us? I think he's, uh, no, he, he was earlier. Oh, he had to make dinner. dinner. Okay. Um, so he says my non pilot sister was recently flying Cincinnati to Orlando or some other lower Florida airport. She complained to me that the airport was delayed for weather, even though the weather was great in Florida and Cincinnati. I wonder oh my God. what There's the problem snake. is. <laughs> <laughs> I see no problem. Send okay. it. So Cincinnati well, is like up here, like at the top uh, portion of the screen, just out of view. It looks like it looks like my neck of the woods there is getting uh, yeah, pummeled by. Uh, pounded. Charlotte was uh, yeah. receiving it, a little bit of stormy weather, and it's a very solid line of uh, severe weather extending mm. through the Charlotte area, North Carolina, a little bit of South uh, South Carolina Highlands, and into. Um, Georgia, um, going diagonally from the northeast to the southwest of the state of Georgia, and on way out into the Gulf of Mexico, and extending beyond the uh, picture frame here up past, uh, I don't know, Virginia. Uh, and you, uh, it's a depiction from FlightAware of all the flights and all the little airplanes out there. And there are some brave souls that are. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> kind of over some people have put their fingers in their ears it's, and had a go, haven't they? Yeah, they're they're getting into Charlotte. That's still happening. That might be what uh, what's going on there. I can't tell the altitude of these uh, these airplanes that are in the area of the weather, but but the vast majority, <laughs> I think you would all agree. Are going are staying mostly to the uh, east of that line of weather, and the ones on the other side are kind of just milling around, hovering around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm, what do we do here? Not really a not, recognizable go pattern. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's the reason. Um, and Sam, of course, knows that. Uh, that's yeah. that's funny. Um, yeah. Good one. I think we've diagnosed the problem. View from the flight deck says, just make a tech stop in Cancun. There you go. <laughs> Very good. Uh, let's see. Oh, I have some audio feedback from uh, Justin. So what does he have to say? Justin Time. My name is Justin. I actually just started to listen to your podcast uh, earlier this week. And I'm only on episode 25. And I haven't skipped ahead. Uh, I did only skip to uh, the current episode to hear your voice to make sure that any, nothing had changed as far as who is hosting. Um, so I'm limited to 90 seconds, so I better make this quick. Um, keeping in mind that I'm only on episode 25 back in the beginning of 2012, I, I can tell that you work for the airlines. I knew that uh, uh, almost immediately when you mentioned that you were flying the MD-88 in 2011, as I believe only American Airlines and Delta were flying at that time. Uh, and then when you mentioned the merger and possibly getting 717s, 
as well as the Atlanta hub, which is the, the big uh, kicker. I knew right away it was um, I am a letter carrier actually out of Cincinnati. Uh, KCVG obviously used to be quite a secondary hub for your airline, but now it's not. Anyway, uh, having to cut this short, I uh, will keep listening in sequence. So I suppose it'll be some time before I am able to catch up to episode 555 or whatever it is that you're currently at. But enjoying the show and uh, hope to uh, continue listening for quite some time. God bless. Welcome aboard, Justin. And we're on 558 playing your feedback. And um, I don't know what to tell you. If if you're only on number 25, I'm not sure you're going to live long enough to listen to all the shows to the current show. Uh, And by the way, and you'll probably hear this over time as you listen to our show that uh, I don't fly for that uh, beep airline. I fly for Acme Airlines. <laughs> Get it right. Yes. But I, I think everybody not knows for much longer. who Acme is. And yeah, you're right, Liz, not, not much longer. Um, uh, but uh, I love my airline and I, I'd, I'd love to proudly say who it is. Uh, but um, Soon, it's just yes. better, better for me to... Uh, to well, not Tim's that. revealed it. Look. Uh-oh. Only took me to episode 500 to figure out Acme was indeed Spirit Airlines. Oh, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> oh, Tim, come on. Uh, He's a slow spirit. learner. That's yeah, out of the bag. Well, Tim bumped his head a few too many times when he was a kid, I think. Yeah. <laughs> paint chips, I think. Or paint chips. <laughs> Apparently, uh, yeah, a lot of lead paint in his parents' house. Um, okay. Uh, let's uh, continue with, um, what, 11? I'm, I'm, I'm pressing the button and nothing's happening. Here we go. Okay. I could say so. Uh, Texas uh, and LaShock. The Southwest Holiday Meltdown. Greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. Well, by now, I'm sure you've discussed the Southwest catastrophe to death. And we're talking about the one uh, that uh, shut down Southwest for (laughs) a few days uh, over the holidays. But I thought I'd throw my two cents in anyway. As it turned out, I wound up right in the middle of it, flying into Denver, which was apparently where the whole thing started. The flight was uneventful, as was was the landing. But then we taxied for a bit. And then just sat there. I went and checked our path on Flight Radar 24 later, and less than half of our elapsed was in the air. The rest was sitting on the ground at Denver. Eventually, they managed to get us in, and we unloaded into the airport. By this time, of course, all the flights had been canceled. We had nowhere to go since it was past 10 at night. Everything in the airport was closed. That's the part that annoyed me more than anything. In the meantime, people trying to secure a way out had formed into several long lines leading to gate counters where a few diligent gate agents were patiently fielding requests and bookings. At some point, one of them went around telling everyone that everything had been booked through to Christmas Eve or even Christmas Day itself. And then, around then, I heard the people were getting through on the customer support line. So I called in and I figured I'd either get an answer or to the front of the line. The answer came first and my lucky star seemingly aligned as the girl on the other end apparently had an opening for the next morning just uh, appear right before her eyes. So I was able to get out in less than 12 hours and proceeded to uh, L.A. via Las Vegas. Unfortunately, my bag was checked to go straight to Los Angeles from Denver, so it wound up on a different flight. And this is when I realized 
that Southwest does not have a baggage tracking feature on their app. Anyway, by Friday before Christmas, me and my bag were in California, and we all lived happily ever after, until the flight back. This time, the delay wasn't on the airline. I was flying American Airlines on the way back, but on the flight back to Texas, the plane had to pull back into the gate to offload someone who had been vaping. So don't go vaping on a plane. They'll kick you off and you'll inconvenience dozens to hundreds of other people. So don't do it. And there's your public service announcement for this feedback. So there's that. This is the Texas and Lashock signing off. Thank you for sharing that experience, Texas. Yet no one ever seemed to share the wonderful, fantastic experiences they have. At least in my, in in yeah, They're in my just limited not sexy like yeah. <laughs> no, we have Engineer actually. Pilot, and then everybody lived happily complaints. ever after. We, we have actually. Um, the flight attendants of Southwest are great. I mean, they're great for Acme too. But they 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 give them um, a lot of um, a lot of uh, margin to kind of make it entertaining for the passengers. Uh, not always. I, I Steph, you fly Southwest a lot well, more than yeah, any I of us do to, here. Yeah, I sure. used to do a lot more than you do now, um, but. Um, they just have this kind of happy-go-lucky attitude, and uh, we, we've actually had some 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 decent, um, you know, positive stories. Mm-hmm. It's just, and um, um, sadly, in this world of covering aviation news, most of the stuff that gets the gets the attention is all the negative stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, probably so. All right. Um. All right. Number thirteen. Uh, oh, Greg, big ass crane, Greg. Not big ass fan anymore. Um, mm. Crew, follow up to the Delta 767 diversion story. You'll remember that he sent us in some feedback um, thinking that maybe the control issue that they were having or the turning issue with the airplane and the automation autopilot system may have had something to do with the fact that there was a leak back in that wing box area where the cable runs are and it may have frozen uh, the aileron mechanism uh, for the left uh, side. And then when they descended, uh, the temperature increased and the ice melted or whatever, and then it uh, worked okay. Anyway, so he's sticking with his uh, he's sticking with his guns on this one. Uh, he said, um, uh, "So I did a little bit more digging on the seven six seven controls after Nick's speculation that all the cables were in a climate controlled area of the aircraft. I found some sort of training manual for seven six seven flight controls attached for your reference, and it turns out that some of the flight controls are routed through the wheel well." which I believe is not climate controlled. Aileron aileron controls are covered on pages 18 through 31. And uh, let me do this. I'm going to uh, share. Okay, so here is said 767 training manual. And this is the section uh, with the aileron component locations. Now, got to go back to his feedback. Um, on page 20, it indicates that the feel centering and trim mechanism, one of the items replaced in the 767 diversion, is located in the left wheel well. The diagram on page 23 shows that the primary control cables lead right to that mechanism. I think my theory that the aileron, aileron controls froze up due to the lav leaks is valid, and that as the crew descended, the controls thought enough to regain control of the aircraft and complete the flight. Again, Rick can tell me if I'm full of crap, but I think that's what happened. Well, Rick's not here to tell you that, Greg. But 
Uh, but uh, just me. Yeah, but I'm sure that uh, Captain Nick will probably tell you that. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I think I think it's a pretty good theory, Greg. Honestly, um, oh, so do I. You know, yeah. I I live in a world where decent aircraft designers oh, don't pass <laughs> vital control cables through a area that where you know you've you got need more wine, spinning Jeff. tires that can burst or catch fire. Uh, I've recently covered in a plane tail and. You wouldn't. I. I would have assumed you didn't stick vital con, flight control systems in that place. So, it, but by <laughs> no, looking at this stick. manual, it appears I might be wrong. Which, you know, I go well. You know, you get what you pay for, chaps. <laughs> if you're going to stick it in there, then it could get wet and freeze. It could be smashed up by a burst tire. Or it could. You know, lots of things can happen to it. Why don't you just stick it somewhere safe? Anyway, so if that's the case, uh, and it, it is a little bit general. It just says left wheel well, right wheel well. They've both got some components. It doesn't actually say anything more than that. Uh, and whether the leaking uh, fluid from the cabin could have got into that those areas, I don't know. But anyway, I think you certainly have done a lot of hard work in this, and I appreciate that. And uh, I certainly think you've got a great theory. Um, we might need to let Rick speak on this in the future. Do you think we can still get him to? I don't know. He's, get, he's, he's moving the 747, so he's going to dump his 7.6 stuff. stuff pretty quick. Get Miami Rick on the phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to catch him while he can still remember it. You'll <laughs> remember. Anyway, it, it's, yeah. it's a fascinating uh, idea, uh, Greg. Uh, do we not have any actual um, investigation yet to tell us what actually happened? I don't think so. Not yet. No. And this no. is one of those things that I'm not sure we'll ever really find out. Uh, is the NTSB investigating this so. one? No. Probably I not. Didn't the Probably Canadian not. TSB? Oh, yeah, the Canadians. The Canadian TSB oh. may have some. Well, that'll only take 10 years then. Oh, yeah. I looked at you to see what Nick said. <laughs> It'll probably take 10 years before they get around to it. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if what you're saying is true, then I just go, what on earth did they do that for? What? Yeah, it doesn't seem like a there. very good design. Uh, it's kind of surprising it hasn't happened before. Though. Yeah, that's true too. Liz is saying it's kind of surprising that it hasn't had happened before. If that's um, the case, if that's the case, yeah, I don't know. But hopefully, we'll find out. Um, let's uh, try to squeeze out one more. Um, Fly by wire. Oh, you can do for more than okay. One we more. can do Fly more than one. Wire. Okay. Well, I'm going to do mine wire. first. One more. Which one? I don't know. I'm going to do number 14, um, and, and then maybe we'll do which one is it? What number you want to do, Nick? I was saying no, fly-by-wire. Oh, the solution to the whole thing. <laughs> well, Boeing has fly-by-wire stuff, too. They do. They do. Yeah. Well, they do now, but um, 7.6 doesn't. Well, actually, it does, but it's, you know, a bit more basic. Okay. Uh, Becky has a question for us. She said, sitting at the gate, and this is... Um, I don't know how long ago she sent this in. Oh, it's a while, but a three while, or four weeks. Three or four weeks ago. Uh, sitting at the gate at uh, Toronto. Yeah, there's her first problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's her first problem. There's the problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm, cu I'm curious about something I'm observing. Our CRJ900 arrived. 
passengers deplaned. About 35 minutes later, our crew arrived and headed to the plane and then came back saying that the previous crew was still on board so that they could not board and do safety checks until the prior crew leaves. That seems obvious, but I'm curious why the whole crew would still be on board 35 minutes after the passengers left. About five minutes later, the previous crew exited and ours boarded. Any ideas? Seems like a long debrief. Becky Roush. I doubt that they were yeah, doing I've any debriefing. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah what it was, could be a long debrief, but do, do you regularly who have... Who does debriefs? We don't do Oh, debriefs. we always did. If there's if there were an occurrence... Oh, uh, okay, yeah, if something happened, maybe. We get managers come on, and uh, then the whole crew would debrief, mm. or the captain would do it. Um, or we just open a bottle of champagne and just sit there and have a drink before so i was thinking that might be more of what was (laughs) (laughs) on a crj which we used to do regularly in the old days Mm -hmm. um no if uh it might be that not all the passengers have got off uh if they've got a disabled passengers and and they're waiting for a um one of those uh, carriers um, that plugs onto the side of the aircraft you can't see and takes a wheelchair passenger or a disabled passenger off through into, I forget what they called. Um, they're a special lift uh, 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 that bring <laughs> someone's phone got stuck in the seat. That's yeah. from me, man, Micah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happens too, Micah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but yeah, it's often they're waiting to try and get a, uh, a disabled passenger off, and the uh, low loader that helps them off into the ambulance uh, doesn't uh, pitch up on time. What do you think, Steph? I have no idea. Well, I thought they were just having a good time in the uh, aircraft and uh, didn't that want could to be. leave. Or that someone had forgotten their passport and was concerned about how to uh, enter the country. <laughs> so this is something that would happen to me, that I would not have my proper ID with me somehow and uh, fail. Back in my 727 days, Flew from Atlanta to Miami, and then the next leg was going to be Miami, probably back to Atlanta or maybe up to New York. And uh, we got there at the gate, the passengers to plane, and uh, they had some uh, leftover. This was back in the days when we actually had crew, I mean, not crew meals, but passenger like hot meals, and they had some trays that hadn't been consumed. And so we were all just sitting there, just enjoying our meals. (laughs) And then this crew comes on and like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> why, are you, why are you still on the airplane? We're, going, we're looking at them like, what? And what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, this this airplane's going like back to Atlanta. Uh, uh, where are like you guys now? going? We're going to New York. Okay. Uh, it turns out that we had a ship change, a, a, an airplane change in Miami. I mean, that hard when you in Atlanta, of course, it happens almost every time you go through Atlanta. But when you go to an outstation and continue on another flight, it's almost always in the same airplane. But not this time. So you think these time. guys maybe just didn't realize they were supposed to be on a different aircraft? I maybe. May, I don't know. I don't know how you know how that works in it's their possible. their world. Were you but eating their meals? I was not eating their meal, Liz. I was eating oh. a meal that was not eaten by a passenger on that inbound oh, flight. Because okay. the, the, the catering hadn't. Uh, arrived yet for their flight, I guess. But uh, anyway, talking about like being really relaxed and laid back and feet kicked, you know, put up on the furniture and uh, just having a good old time. And then all of a sudden just, just scrambling because they were already like, you know, we, we, we need to be boarding right now for our flight. We're going, sorry. 
Uh, view from the flight deck says uh, if it was a transborder flight, U.S. Canada, the inbound and outbound crews aren't allowed to mingle. Really? Interesting. Yeah, a customs thing, yeah. A customs mm-hmm. thing, huh? Okay. Yep, probably. Yeah, so I don't know. We're, yeah, we're just making stuff up, Becky. They can pass contraband between them, you see. Oh, yeah, those Canadians. Yeah, I get it. You know, never trust them. Yeah. And, this, and keeping cigars and stuff. Maybe that's what was happening. Yeah. Do you need any? <laughs> do I? <laughs> Lisa, do you need any? <laughs> no, I don't smoke cigars, but oh, but if well, I did, I would well, certainly. You, you, you could sell them, couldn't you? Oh, I could sell you them, yeah. some coin? Yeah, yeah it's not for, not for your own... Uh, Personal consumption for <laughs> yeah. Uh, which one next, Liz? Uh, why don't you go down to Skyler? I, that, that's nice. That's a nice okay. one. Um, number seventeen. 17. Uh, this is from from Skyler, Charles, or maybe Charles Skyler. Not sure. <laughs> no, Skyler. Skyler's his first name. Okay. I think so. Hello, ABG crew. My name is Skyler. Oh yeah, there he goes. He says it right there in the first sentence. Uh, my name is Skyler. I'm an aspiring pilot based in the Florida Panhandle. I've been listening off and on for a few years, but recently I found my dreams of becoming an airline pilot inch closer to a re- reality. This year I was laid off and my wife and I decided to bite the bullet. I got a job as a gate agent at a local airport working for Southwest, and I intend to begin flight training by summer at the latest. I know I have a long journey ahead of me, but I'm truly blessed to be working in the world of aviation. I just wanted to say that you and the team have helped me along the way and have kept the flame burning for my aviation dreams. I also wanted to know if you ever fly into Destin Fort Walton, which is a VPS. Yes, I do. I, as I know, Acme has daily service with a Boeing 717. Yeah, I get in there every once in a while. Skyler? To check out the calendar. Uh, thanks again, and best regards to everyone. Um, yeah, Liz is mentioning that we do um, on our website, airlinepilotguy.com, we have uh, a calendar, a community calendar. I usually uh, am able to put my my schedule, um, and I kind of, you know, anonymize it a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I have my flights where I'm going to and where I'm laying over and that kind of thing. Not exact information, but general information. So you might want to check that out if I ever have a uh, Fort Walton Beach um, layover. That'd be uh, fun to have a meetup. Um, so, uh, Skylar, it's great. It's uh, We're excited for you. Uh, we hope that you uh, have a great experience with your flight training uh, this summer. And uh, please keep listening and also keep communicating with us and sending us updates on on your flight progress, your, 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 uh, your, I, I don't know that it's so much us that keeps people motivated sometimes, but we've certainly had a lot of listeners over the year who have kept us updated on their flight training and progress and have, you know, gone from very beginnings to, um, much more advanced positions. Several. Several. Who are, are now great friends of us, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. of ours. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's truly inspiring that we inspired them and now they inspire us. So mm-hmm. you're right, Absolutely. Steph. That's... Finish off with number 18. Maybe? All right, number 18. We're going to finish off with this. And, oh, okay. Um, I need to uh, load a video now. This is just so complicated. Okay. Video file. Um, okay, open. And I'll just play the video. I think it kind of stands on its yeah. own. This flight is so short, the whole flight will fit into one TikTok video. Don't believe me? Then watch to the end of the video. 
This is the world's shortest passenger flight. It runs twice a day between the islands of Papa Westray and Westray in the Scottish Orkney Islands. The flight is operated by the Scottish airline Loganair on this Britain Norman Islander which seats up to eight passengers. You barely get airborne from the runway before the aircraft's turning onto its final approach into the destination. So the distance between these uh, airports then here at the Westray and Westray is just 1.7 miles between the two. Um, and really most people seem to be connecting onto this flight to uh, fly down to Kirkwall after this flight to continue onwards. There's not really many passengers that fly between the two and I'm not surprised because at £17 for a one-way ticket for a 1.7 mile flight, it ranks as one of the most expensive flights that you can take on a per mile base. It's actually more expensive than Emirates first class and we're already on our approach into Westray. Look at that look. 1.7 miles, the distance between these two airports is less than the length of the runway at Edinburgh Airport. The flight time is scheduled at two minutes long, but usually it's much faster depending on the runway being used, and the record for this flight is just 53 seconds. Seconds. Former IT specialist Noel Phillips travels the world reviewing the longest, worst, and most dangerous flights. And uh, apparently, he's he has a very nice channel um, on TikTok. Well, I don't think he's been on any of my flights, so I I wonder if he's actually got that right. <laughs> You hold some sort of, of records worst? for longest, worst, and most dangerous? Yeah, he said worst. And or. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has been on one of your flights. Oh, he, uh, yeah, I, um, I haven't seen the review. Uh, <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? There was Oh, uh, yeah, so the, uh, Brent, who sent this in, said, uh, this must be one of, not yeah, not, not First Officer Brent. This is another Brent. He said, this must be one of Captain Jeff's flights. <laughs> oh, well, when it comes to short flights, yeah. yes, I think you're my, right None of mine are quite this short. Uh, and that's, you probably just do that. That's it. That's your leg for the day, one minute. <laughs> but I would like this yeah, kind of flight. He's like off to the hotel. And like yeah, so the problem is this, 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 uh, these pilots probably had to do this like 10 to 20 times every day. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of landings. Uh, view from the flight deck. I have operated a scheduled service that is five miles across the Albany River in the far north of Ontario. <laughs> wow. Five miles. I think the shortest that yeah. I've ever done is like uh. between Miami and Fort Lauderdale, um, which is pretty pretty close. My flights originate and terminate at the same airport. Well, there you go. That's so, super short. Yeah, absolutely. It still takes about 14 minutes. No. I must admit, I've I've been from London to Gatwick and vice versa many times, and it takes forever. <laughs> I've actually I've been on some fairly short uh, Britain Norman Islander flights, scheduled passenger flights. I think in the order uh, or in the range of like ten to fifteen minutes hmm. or so. Yeah, they're nice. good island well, hoppers. I mean, you're not going that far between islands. It's just a lot faster on the airplane and not that much more expensive than to take mm -hmm. a boat. So. Might well, as well fly. He was comparing the the cost of the flight with a like Emirates first class. So I'm thinking, I think the Emirates first class experience might be a little bit nicer. No, yeah, he was just saying it was more expensive per mile. Per mile, yeah. When you break it yeah. down, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows you don't pay for per mile in this world of uh, passenger flight. 
No, and I don't know if, if I made it clear, it was from Gatwick to Heathrow. That mm. might have been my shortest commercial flight. That's pretty close. And Yeah, I know it's about 30 miles, mm-hmm. but uh, it takes forever. I mean, because yeah. like, you're usually positioning the aircraft, so you have no priority. You're very hard to get a slot. And air traffic, you send you around the houses ten times. Adam Spink. Yeah. Mm. It's Spink's fault. Mm. <laughs> well, I blame Adam. As... Well, yeah, we all do. All right, that's it. We're going to wrap it up. Um, great show. Thanks for uh, joining us, Steph. Um, it's always a, a treat when you're here with us. Sorry, and you too, hurting. Nick. Um, oh, you're very kind. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what do we normally do? We talk about uh, pointing you over to our website, airlinepilotguy.com. Lots of good stuff there. And we are also on social media. And Steph mm, is going mm. to tell us all This about is the that. real reason why you're happy that I made it to the show yes, today, So I can discuss <laughs> social media. Hey, we're on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Also Twitter at APG crew and find our individual Twitter handles pinned to the top of that page. Nick does post the uh, show artwork on our Instagram page and we're APG crew there as well. Um, we've already established that Hillel has been Cited. spotted in Jeff's bathroom. I mistook him for an angel. But, uh, <laughs> so, uh, he, I'm, I'm presuming he's there so that he can fill us in on the slack. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, you can hear the water. Ru- Hey, hello. Hello, can you, can you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. I know. Come on over here, though. Wait, put a, put a towel on first, please. Thank you. Okay. There are kids in this audience. All right. Tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. Would you let me finish a poo for once? Um, I thought you were taking a shower. No. 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 Okay. No is the answer. All right. Uh, And uh, we want to thank our producer, Liz. There she is. Thank you so much for all the hard work. 99% of the work is done by this lady right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, We love you. And uh, with that, okay, okay, the audience, okay, please. Hey, they, this are, is getting, they are super this is enthusiastic. This getting embarrassing, about... I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, I guess anything else left to say other than, like, bidding everybody farewell? I do. I do? All right, until next time, wishing you all clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Have a good weekend. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, I'm a guy I fly, oh 